Good evening, or good morning, or good afternoon, whenever you happen to be listening to this particular episode of Pod Like a Whole. Um, this is your host, Mark Branstead. Um, no more deviations. We are actually going to get right into Nine Inch Nails. Well, we, actually, there will be deviations. A little bit later. Uh, <laughs> we thought about actually going through Filters Catalog before <laughs> doing this episode, but... Uh, no, I meant the, the album Deviations will be discussed. No, we got, we got the joke. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he'll edit in a laugh track there, Steve. <laughs> with a big applause. Uh, whenever somebody has to explain their joke, it's not good, which is oh, I tell Eric all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Makes everything funnier when you have to explain it like a math equation. Uh, with me, as always, are my two intrepid uh, co-hosts and co-creators. Uh, to my right, I've got Stephen Earl Chambers. We're in this together now. And to my left, which makes me the man in the middle, is my other co-host, Eric Monroe Anderson. Flowers are beautiful, but once they're cut, they're already dying. Is that actually a lyric from this goddamn album? (laughs) No, but the artwork made me think that. (laughs) Speaking of which, did you uh, get your copy of the the record out here? Oh, You guys keep talking. The the vinyl album? Yeah. The vinyl? I'm going to want to consult it uh, in our limited light. Uh, so here's the deal, <laughs> folks. Um, if you have never listened to uh, the album The Fragile, um, it's been released in a couple different formats. And uh, what we're going to do, uh, in this episode, we're going to talk about the left side of The Fragile. And then in the next episode, we're going to get into the right side And as we're talking about it, we are actually going to be talking about the definitive version. So, Which uh, is essentially the vinyl. That's right. Um, The cassette version of The Fragile also had uh, a song that wasn't on the vinyl. It wasn't on the CD. Um, We're going to throw that in there as well. And in the next episode, we will also cover the tracks from the Deviations record that came out in 2016 which is a few more other uh, various and sundry release songs that were on the albums proper. So uh, do you have any more color that you'd like to talk about on Deviations? I mean, it's uh, it was released, what, a year ago? Is that right? I think in 2017. And it yes. was... Uh, I'm not even two years now. It's only a vinyl release, and you can only get it through NineInchNails.com. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, you I, probably order it off eBay and get... But the thing is, uh, we've got... a special shout out and we'll probably shout him out again um a friend of the show uh longtime listener um and a good friend of eric's uh greg walgast was kind enough to supply us with that uh recording of the uh deviations uh which so thank you greg it is really appreciated yes thank you we were going to start a kickstarter for the show so we could all afford to have, buy our own copies. It's eighty bucks. I <laughs> yeah. mean, we've all got kids, <laughs> yeah. and well, you know. one, one of these days, maybe, maybe if uh, maybe next time they tour, if it's discounted spoiler, at the spoiler merch alert, table, it's worth every penny. It's it fantastic. It's fantastic. Yeah. But again, we'll talk about it more in the next episode because yes. we don't want to make this a three-hour episode. As much as we love to talk about this album, uh, we're going to break it into small little chunks. Um, so, but we'll get through the entire. Uh, left side tonight, and uh, we'll hopefully get you some more appreciation for this record. Um, so where should we start, guys? Uh, did, should we start of how this album was made, where it was made, uh, the the idea behind The Fragile? Yeah, what was going on with Trent? 
Well, it was recorded in bits and pieces between the years of 1995 and 99, I guess. But yeah, I, probably throughout. I'd there. suppose that the actual recording was, you know, 97 to 98 to 99. Uh, they, but they, there was a, there was a reason it took so long. Is it had a lot of false starts and uh, almost too much material, which is why there's 27 different versions of this record split across eight different formats. Um, uh, the folklore is that uh, Trent Reznor went and booked himself a, a, I don't know if he bought a house or rented a house in Big Sur on the cliffside, and he was going to sit down and get to writing. The most beautiful part of the state of California, one would argue. I agree. It, I, I am a big fan of Big Sur. And uh, we were actually thinking about recording this episode at Big Sur. Yeah, that didn't happen. And then we were going to, rec- <laughs> and then in the most downgrades of downgrades, we discussed going to Truckee, which is <laughs> uh, that's kind of like saying you know you're going to go to Vegas, but you end up in Sparks, Nevada. Um, it's up in the mountains. Yeah. yeah. And then that didn't happen. And so we're actually right back in Eric's backyard where we recorded the first episode. Yeah. But this time of year, we've got the nature sounds. We got fire crackling, and we have got frogs uh, fucking in the water. <laughs> Vigorously. Which is really one of the themes of this record, (laughs) is swamp sex. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And so he goes to Big Sur, and he sits down, he's going to record a record, and uh, apparently it it backfired completely and made him even more, well, what do you expect? You're on the the, the, the cliffside of the ocean. I'm sure he wasn't by himself, but with limited people there, you're going to feel isolated. And not much came of it. Uh, I, I think that some of the stuff in the still record had to have had its genesis there. It just sounds like something you would have written on the side of a cliff by the ocean. Uh, La Mer is the one song that almost in its entirety was come up, came up with at the Big Sur, Big Sur sessions. Yeah, and I remember him in an interview saying that the early version of The Fragile sounded like uh, his version of Billy Joel's The Stranger. Yes. And... Um, I don't know what hits were off of The Stranger. I don't know if, like, <laughs> Moving Out was. It's a good I'm not song. Sure, but I, I, do like, I do like some of Billy Joel's catalog, but I can't tell you what song's from what album. I mean, I would like to hear Trent's version of, like, Moving Out, because it's, it's that part of the Billy Joel song where it goes, like, heart attack, ah, 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 ah. Yeah, it's a good song. That's right. That's, <laughs> that's his version of the falling down the stairs sample from Further Down the Spiral. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think Rick Rubin actually suggested that he goes out to Big Sur and it didn't, it didn't have the Johnny Cash effect that Rick usually gets out of some people. Yeah, I mean, so. I think later uh, he was contemplating suicide, which, you know, it was no laughing matter, of course, but, um, you know, it's, it's a good thing that he didn't because uh, he released so much uh, quality music. Well, it's just this. good that a man didn't kill himself. Oh, but yes. that. I mean, but I mean, yeah. yeah he would have. He would have pulled his plug yeah. way too prematurely. Well, yeah, well, he's got uh, a family, and you know, he's got a family and everything now. It's well, you know, it's right. A lot exactly. of happiness. A lot of happiness. To that, one right. of the one of the big parts of this record, some of the themes and some of the lyrics, I believe, have to be. And I wouldn't have put this together unless it was kind of called out in some of the interviews I read from that era. Is that his grandmother died? That's right. Right before all this happened. That's right. And his grandmother basically raised him after his parents split. So it really, really affected him. His mother figure died. And also his friendship with Marilyn Manson took a turn and he felt betrayed and he was in a bad emotional spot. And so he got out of the, off the cliffside. Alan Mulder took him to 
maybe I don't know where they I have to be honest where the hell did they record the majority of this album um, I want to probably say Nothing Studios um, in probably New Orleans uh, where he was living that I makes mean, sense I don't think he was out in LA I mean he may have done some production work in uh, yeah nothing okay it was Nothing Studios so the, yeah, the, yeah the Big Sur experiment didn't work they went back to Nothing Studios which at this time was a really nice studio that had all the money behind it from the, the winnings of the downward spiral and everything yeah. was put into that studio. And him and Alan Moldo worked there for two to three years together just on this record. And a big part of this record was that there was almost too many ideas. And so they had all these songs and all these versions of songs, and then they had to comb through them. And they even called him Bob Ezrin of Pink Floyd fame to help sequence the whole thing. He was not in Pink Floyd, but he was the producer of The um, Wall. Yes. Yeah. And his, so helping with sequencing and uh, whiteboards were, were pulled out and formulas were created and algorithms were ran. It's and, a huge part of the listening experience, though. Yeah. So I can imagine there's, and we'll talk about this more on the Deviations episode, when you have all those tracks, that they every part of it, there's like a couple of fun playlists I put together for everything. It's a whole great mess. And, yeah, him and Alan Mulder worked on it together with some of the, the cast of characters that were typically working on his albums. Uh, Adrian Blue came back. Yep. Uh, Chris Renna left the band. Jerome Dillon joined the band. Now, the thing about Chris Renna is I understand, like, there was never, like, a big falling out. It was more, um, they just, he didn't return a phone call or something mm. like that. It was, I don't think there was really much drama to it. I'm not sure. Perhaps we should sit down one of these times and do another bonus episode where we just track down what happened to all those guys. That's a fantastic idea. I think we might do that. Charlie Klauser was in the band still, Robin Fink, and a couple other of uh, uh, musicians that we'll, when we're actually discussing the songs, we'll, we'll bring up. And they put this thing out. And I know that Mr. TR, he has no, he's no, uh, he doesn't keep it a secret that he had substance abuse around the turn of the, cent- the, the 90s and the turn of the century. And it didn't, didn't all go away during this, uh, the recording of this album. But towards the end of it, I think he was in a better headspace. I think he worked some things out. Uh, some of the Rolling Stone articles from this time, they uh, had him discussing how he was in his mid-30s and he was thinking, you know, one day I would want a family. And that's why it is worth sticking around here. And cheesy shit like that, which happened to all three of us. That's right. So he, he got to the other side. And I think a lot of that is in this record. Yeah, um, so you're on point with all of that. Um, the <laughs> the thing with this particular album, it, it came out in 99, and in past episodes, this is at the height of our frenzy of just being absolutely in love with this band. And just the mere thought of new material uh, was something that was almost at that point just unfathomable. You know, I, I didn't know what it was going to be, if it was going to be just more of the same of Downward Spiral, if it was going to have that drum and bass jungle sound of the perfect drug. And as we get into the uh, the album and what the lead-off single was, or Halo, uh, it was certainly unexpected. And beautiful. Definitely beautiful, but um, unexpected. Yeah, everything about this album was people weren't expecting it. And I think the fact that it took so long for it to come out, people had their own idea of what the album should be in their head, and it, was not, it wasn't what I expected. I don't think one person 
besides the guys that made this record knew what it was going to sound like. If that makes any sense. No, absolutely. It was definitely not the Downward Spiral Part 2. No, it certainly wasn't. And if anything, this particular album, uh, I mean, not to blow my load here before we really get into the nitty-gritty, <laughs> I mean, I, uh, this particular album is a turning point for Nine Inch Nails. Uh, their, their sound after this, um, it is... It, everything else after this, it seems that it's nodding in this direction, more so than probably Downward Spiral. Yes. Um, and uh, I think that this creates the, the framework for the, the Nine Inch Nails sound going forward. They get a little less proggy. This is the most abstract of the records by far. But many ideas introduced in this record, what they latch onto and they, they, they take with them. Yeah. Um, to, yeah to, and to sum it up, Eric... What happened in this time was the stuff we discussed in the Five Year Gap album. Trent Reznor became a hermit, tried to make the album once, didn't work out. Alan Mulder and him sat down and hashed it out over a period of two years, and then it came out in the late 1999. There you go. All right. And then where were where were we all in 1999? So the time of this record being released was in the fall of 99, and so this was... Uh, my and Steve's uh, senior year in high school, and um, or shit, were we? No, graduated? no, we were already graduated. In, <laughs> yeah. yeah, this yeah. is the fall yeah. after. We, we were starting, about to start college. We were starting shit. our illustrious, yeah. our illustrious college careers. And I say that because <laughs> <laughs> mine was kind of aborted. Um, no, I I just moved out to the terrible Rockland apartments, and I think you were still living at your parents' house. I was until yeah. you moved into the terrible Rockland apartments for a spell. Mm. That was more towards the end of 2000, I think. Yeah, that was later. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, that's uh, that's what we were doing. I was working at Carl's Jr. Yep. I think you might have already started at Dimple. Yep. Uh, actually, I was told I was hired on the day of the release of this album. And I where, went to a midnight sale. And where did... uh, What job did you put your two weeks into? What job did I put my two yeah, weeks what, what, in? Oh, I was at a movie theater. I was working at a movie theater oh, before that's this. Right. I was thinking of the Taco Bell. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> I had already quit Taco Bell a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. This is a funny Taco Bell story we can cut out. But um, I was working in the mall actually right around this time. You know we a, won't cut it out. We never cut anything out. There was a Taco Bell across. There was a cross from where I was working in the mall, and there was a big commotion, and the security showed up. A guy had gotten fired, so mad, he grabbed two hands of tortillas, dipped them in the beans, smeared them over the wall, went into the bathroom, took his clothes off, and pissed all over his uniform. <laughs> and security had to take him out. Sunrise Mall. Did he... Oh, man, I know that. That's a good Taco yeah. Bell. I remember it. That's a good there. Taco Bell, huh? They, they had only the best queso. Uh, when he was oh, removed, man. did uh, was he nude? Uh, I... Th- I think they monitored him putting getting decent before they took him out, before they took him out. But anyways, yeah, I uh, yeah, I went to that same midnight sale, and yep. around this was the the time in between the day the world went away single, and the album coming out feels like an eternity when I look back now. Yeah, but I yeah, no, it was a, living in a shitty apartment with a couple of knuckleheads that were probably shouldn't too young to have moved out <laughs> and uh going to sierra college yeah that's right hanging out hanging out with mark where were you uh, Eric? guys my story is dark my story is dark so just a, a quick rehash <laughs> greg walgas and i arizona 
obsessed with Nine Inch Nails. I have to, I moved back to the Sacramento area. I'm going to high school. I've got these friends, these like seniors that are like rivet heads and old school goths. What high school is this again? The Bella Vista. And, Mark uh, and I just graduated from Del Oro, in case yeah. anybody cares. That's right. And uh, anyways, we were in, but they all graduated. So I'm finding myself in my junior, junior year, senior year, not a lot of friends. Um, girls won't pay any attention to me. Nothing's um, changed. And even though I was just <laughs> obsessed with industrial music and Nine Inch Nails during my sophomore and most, uh, you know, a lot of my junior year. Tell me again why girls wouldn't talk to you. There's many reasons. I have no idea, but um, but uh, it could have been my butt cut. Could have been, but I decided. I, decide I maybe, just want to add some yeah, color before yeah. Eric finished his story. Before while we were setting up, <laughs> Eric walked into a closed screen door. <laughs> All right, go ahead and continue, Thank Eric. You. I think I'm yeah. sure I walked you into. Can't, you can't multitask yeah. uh, with the shit. I I opened up the front door and said, "I'm here." Uh, he was talking to Mark. He turned around and just walked right into a screen door. <laughs> Guys, these Knocked are the classy moments you're, you're missing when this is an audio-only podcast. <laughs> That's true. Uh, so if you'd like to fund our Kickstarter, we can make this thing a video podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, that, that's where I'm at. And, 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 I, and I decided, uh, finding myself friendless, I, I, I maybe needed a change in style. And, and for some reason, I decided the thing that would get me invited to parties and maybe attract attention of girls is to become Seth Green from Can't Hardly Wait, <laughs> 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 which is puffy vests. Upside down visors and listening to rap music. Now, some of it was great. Wu-Tang. Was that really your your style model oh, yeah. at the time? Oh yeah, Wu Tang Clan, uh, Adidas warm ups. No, uh, but like you saw Seth Green. And oh no, 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 like, that, 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 that was that came out around the same during, time, and we okay. were during we this similar. time. Was this was famously, uh, unfortunately, the window into my life where I was heavy into going to raves. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. And I was wearing the Sugar Hill Gang pants. <laughs> you had some upside-down visors, I think. Uh, I don't think I ever had visors, but I had, you know, there was, there's, I, I, I wore beaded bracelets. Beaded bracelets. I remember uh, a pacifier necklace or two. Moving right along, Eric. <laughs> yeah. No, so, my, we're talking my, about Eric. I'm my, sorry to cut you off, Eric. We were talking no, about fine. you. It's fine. I appreciate that, though, because we, we were all, we, you and I were uh, definitely uh, fashion victims. Uh, but there were there there, the, my gateway into hip hop was great. It was Wu Tang Clan, and then I went rock bottom as I got into the No Limit Soldiers and Cash Money Millionaires. Uh, terrible, terrible music. Uh, and it and I was deep into it. I wanted to collect them all. I wanted all those damn bedazzled uh, album covers. And unfortunately, when they, the World Went Away came out, I um, as much as I respect Nine Inch Nails, I was actually at my friend Brian Strand's house swimming in his pool. And he's like, dude, the new Nine Inch Nails song dropped. And I was like, huh? Uh, what? And then, you know, I heard it. And what an interesting choice for a single. We'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. Um, and then, but actually when the album dropped, I couldn't help myself. I bought it, despite the fact of me being completely out of touch. I bought it. I listened to it. It was not listened to on the best of ears. I, la- I mean, I knew it was great when I heard it. it was not, but I, I was not the best uh, critic at that time. Although I do remember long emails on or AOL uh, direct messages between me and Greg Walgast reviewing the album, and of course I gravitated toward the Dr. Dre produced song. Sure, uh, but it took me a long time to appreciate it. Were you like, "Damn, yo, this yeah. is some fat beats, man. This is some, <laughs> this is some deep bass. This is some, this is some slapping, trunk rumbling bass." Um, what the fragile? <laughs> no, uh, even, uh, deeper. even deeper. No, actually, yeah. uh, the fragile. <laughs> Uh, you need to the best way to listen to the fragile is actually in a car yeah. with the bass turned all the way up. Right. There yeah. is some earth shattering rumbling bass in some of these yeah. songs that I'll bring up as we get through yeah. them. For example, uh, the the um, 
I'm looking forward to joining you finally. Oh my goodness. That yes. has some low end. Oh yeah. <laughs> That'll shake the windows. Yeah. yeah. So that's where I was. Um, but I did buy it. I did. Uh, and I, and I it, it did take me many years. Uh, to, well, actually, not many. My rap phase only lasted uh, two years. And then I got into punk. And we'll talk about that later. But I came back. And You're just careening wildly through the lanes yes. here. Yeah, I am. <laughs> like I am. a drunken man. Not yet. Soon. Soon, dear listeners. Soon. But I. But uh, this time listening to it, I would say this is the first time I've given it a deep dive. I've listened to it like crazy over the years, but never uh, never with this point of appreciation this podcast has given as a lot of me. So I very much look forward to talking about it, friends. Sorry about that. That was very long. Oh, no, no. Yeah. I mean, that was a, quite a journey that you were on there, folks. <laughs> so, so yes, yeah, hey, did, did, my, did my rap face help me meet girls? <laughs> nope. Nope, not <laughs> <Sure> at <did. laughs> all. See, if the, the, the single came out, and the anticipation for the album couldn't be higher because we were already waiting for this album. And then they released a snippet. And by the way, before they released a single, they released a, a snippet on like 9inch.com or something. Oh, yeah. Which was just the first like twenty seconds. We listened to that a bunch of times. A bunch, yeah, like <laughs> at least a million. Yeah, <laughs> it was thirty seconds, and it was a mishmash of like three songs, I think, in there. Hmm. I think it was uh, "Into the Void," "La Mire," and um, shit. I don't. Wasn't it the day the world went away? No, because it was just like the drums of hmm. "Into the Void" with uh, him just repeating "Tried to Save Myself." Oh yeah, and then right. it was ninety nine. Remember yep. that? Yeah. Yep. I yeah. just watched all those commercials on the DVD that we'll be talking about in a few episodes. Yeah. Yeah. So that wait was brutal. And then the uh, We're In This Together video came out, which we will discuss a little bit later in this show. Mm-hmm. The wait only intensified. And then it finally came out, and there was a midnight sale. And uh, Mark and I were both at the same midnight sale with some of our other friends. Um, one of which was our buddy Seth, who reminded me last year, we were talking online about... We were doing shots of Jägermeister with strangers in the parking lot. Yeah, I, I believe. That. Yeah, which is very 1999. Was a really drunken guy. If you're just if, ambling by, if you're yeah. going to give teenagers booze in 1999, you're going to give them Jägermeister. Yeah, which <laughs> the stuff makes my stomach turn thinking of it now. <laughs> um, <laughs> Spoiled like uh, mouthwash is what that shit tastes. Like. Did any? So we went to the the release at Dimple, and. Did anything else come out that night worth mentioning? Sometimes the Midnight Sales had... Multiple. Uh, Tori Amos had an album, I think, came mm. out that night. Uh, I think it was Boys for... Not Boys for Pele. It was... Yeah, it was the album that had her on the porch with no. the pig. No, that was that was earlier. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. It wasn't... I'm, I think that was the same night. I mean... Where she references Trent on that, on that no, album. No, no, no. That's... Uh, oh, does she? See, album. I think that she, uh, well, Trent Reznor sang on her album, Past the Mission. 96. Yeah, she, she references What's him. the album that has, uh, yeah, I thought it was that one. Nope, that's 96. That was 96, motherfucker. I can't remember which, uh, uh what other. Madonna? Wire Girl was 98. That's not Did Madonna release an album? No. Oh, to Venus and Back. Was it To Venus and Back? That's 99. Yeah. So okay. it was TV. Yeah, I knew that there was uh, some other uh, album release and season two, buddy. Uh, Tori Amos albums. One there by you one. go. That'll be like uh, <laughs> our True Detective season two, where no one tunes in. <laughs> I like True Detective okay. season two. I, I don't care. So do, okay, so do I. <laughs> yes. I watched all of it except for the last half hour of the last episode. I reached my breaking point. Of season. And I even I think I liked it, yeah. but at that point I was like, okay, this needs an editor. I just it was, it get was me ridiculous. out of here. It was ridiculous. 
Um, all right. So. So that album more. comes. That album came out, and I took it home and listened to it. I think we probably listened to it in the parking lot. I'm sure we did. And I instantly liked it. I always, I, I from the. I, I have a habit of. If you're an artist I appreciate, you really have to piss me off for me to be a naysayer about something you release. Sometimes I, uh, it's hard for me to put my bias aside. With this album, though, no, I, I knew from the start this album was quality. And over the years, it only got better. And that's it. Yeah, I mean, um, as we were doing our research for this album, and research was not research, it was essentially us just... Uh, Listen to this album 500 times and texting each other like, oh my God, this song yeah. and this song and the guitar parts on this song. Um, it's essentially this podcast. I got, uh, I got emotional listening to this goddamn album. Like I even like texted these guys. I was like, I don't know if I've ever had a more of an emotional connection to an album than this one. I think it just brings up a lot of memories. Um, the, the songwriting, uh, just there's, I think there's more to this album for me than just this album. I don't know what it yeah. is. There's a lot of things, like, emotionally that I connect to, uh, whether it's lyrically or just reminiscing about the time that it came out in. Um, it was just a, a, it's a... It's a very personal album for me. I, I've also... I, I share those sentiments, and uh, I also never really put this album aside. It doesn't collect dust for too long for me. Yeah. Sometimes I go, obviously, like anything, you go through phases where you absorb it more, but uh, it never, like, I can go years without listening to Year Zero. It doesn't happen with this record. Right. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, for me, wasn't the best. I was living a lie. Not a, I actually don't have a lot of great memories this time in my life. Didn't have a lot of friends. And uh, high school is over, and those, those people, you know, the exception of Mr. Brian Strand, and those, you know, those people that I hung out with back then that I dressed like Seth Green for <laughs> didn't want me to come to their parties anymore, which is okay, which is okay. Um, I think my, the big realization for me was driving them from a party. They stole a keg from the party, did keg stands while I was driving, opened the van door on the freeway and started pissing out, and it all flew back all over my car. And I was like, huh, you guys aren't friends. Interesting. And that, yeah. So, anyways, uh... And it's any so, um, <laughs> we're also getting a glimpse into Eric's yeah. therapy session, yeah. so um, thank you for joining us. <laughs> if it's any consolation, Eric, the majority of the terrible rave people I were hanging out with weren't much better. Yeah. So. yeah. I was but, just hanging out with uh, Steve at this point in my life, yeah. uh, and my uh, crazy ex-girlfriend, who won't be nameless at this point. Yeah, yeah that's... We don't bring... A, we don't use names here. Yeah, no, here. we don't. Um, but... Uh, we don't want to give them the satisfaction. It would be it would be not even two years later that we would the three of us would become a trinity, and uh, somehow it's all sunshines and butterflies since then. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so uh, when we come back, we're gonna have Eric walk through a little bit of the pop culture of 1999, um, and then we'll get into the nitty gritty. Just so. gonna go have a good hearty cry during this break. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs>
Guys, 1999 was a big year. Uh, all three of us graduated from high school, started college, um, and the world was on the cusp. A new millennium was approaching. We were all worried about that damn Y2K bug. It was going to destroy everything. Bill Clinton was still president, though. He was still president, and it was his uh, victory lap, so to speak. Good times. I don't remember Those a 90s. lot about that last year. Um, That's because there wasn't a lot to remember. Yeah. Because they had to make up uh, controversies out of blowjobs and whatnot when everything was running just fine. And now those same assholes turn a blind eye. Oh, yeah. To oh, here we go. This is where we get raw on the show, guys. <laughs> Tell it out to, to garbage that's a million times worse on a daily basis. I know. It's, it's, it's such hypocrisy. Yeah. Like, you have Newt Gingrich on the goddamn Fox News uh, saying this and that, uh, whereas back then, it was... The end of the, moral, the morals of this country. Yeah. yeah. They, were, they, were, they were making up crimes about... And Hillary Clinton is no saint. But they were making up outlandish conspiracy theories about what she was tied into when there's blatant evidence about shit with the whole Trump family, but it's not a big deal. Anyhow. Right. Well... It exhausts me. That's what you guys all tuned in for, right? White color crime isn't a big deal, right, Steve? Yes, last... Yeah. Let, let's timestamp this. Last night we bombed the shit out of Syria because people were... Uh, we Because Trump's lawyer was arrested this week. Right. That's the only correlation there. Yeah. Anyways, Mark or Eric, guys, the Yankees. Actually, <laughs> shit, man, we might be yeah. connecting some dots tonight. <laughs> <laughs> guys, the Yankees won the World Series again in 1999. Uh, the Broncos won the uh, Super Bowl in 1999. I was working that in pro sports. Okay, uh, you were working in pro sports. I had a friend that worked there, and it was a better pay mm-hmm. than my Baskin Robbins job before that. So, uh, Pro oh. Sports and Sunrise Mall. The way you made it sound is like some professional team no. picked you up oh, and was right. like, hey, man, take your talents over this way. So yeah. that's why you were dressing that way. Right. Uh, oh, man, that's pretty cool. So like, I'm wearing a Cleveland Indians hat, not the one with uh, Chief Wahoo. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm into sports. Yeah, I made the, you take that off. I stole, the, the, <laughs> stole, the sh- the, or I sold, sold a bunch of hats and a bunch of uh, Denver Bronco salt and pepper shakers. Um, guys, the Spurs won the NBA championship. They lost today to the Warriors in the playoffs. Are they out then? Is that no, it? no, it's just started. Okay. Guys, Julian Anderson's still number one with a bullet for sex symbols. So before we started recording, uh, Heather, Eric's wife, um, fantastic woman. She's great. The only woman that would ever talk to Eric. Absolutely. Um, so she dug out some old back issues of Rolling Stone, and there enough was Jillian Anderson looking sexy as hell. Smoking! <laughs> wow. <laughs> Not Eric's only did you people come here for the... Mask references. <laughs> yeah. In addition to the political commentary, yeah. we have uh, 25-year-old dated references. Right. It's like a stew that we create here. <laughs> um... Uh, Yasmin Bleeth showed up. Drew Barrymore. Yasmin Bleeth does not look good these days. I think she got arrested for meth. Maybe. Yeah, many times. Yeah, that's that. that that'll do me. that. It'll it'll uh, drill down your. It's uh, kind of a wild accusation to just make a maybe. <laughs> no, she. No, no, she's a story. A story. Uh, meth head. It's okay, yeah. so thank you no, for no, the backup. Is. I she thought is. I had to get my lawyer on the phone. No, no, she is. Is that okay to say? Uh, Drew Barrymore. Um, I think uh, Wedding Singer had come out recently. Great movie. That's probably that's the most I'll give Adam's. The Adam most uh, I've is, never uh, that wedding singer, or is that never been kissed, or was that released the same year? No, no, no. I, 
Wedding Singer was probably 98. Yeah. No, Wedding I don't really? fucking know. I don't know. Anyways. I've never had a huge thing for Drew Barrymore. Me neither. But the one movie I think she's absolutely gorgeous in, and I love her presence, is E.T. In... <laughs> <laughs> All right. The oh, Marilyn Manson episode was, that was the last episode. Yeah. Uh, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Oh, yeah. That's a great. And she's, she's, she's she a great really character. strikes the right balance in that. She's one. a great character in that. The big quotes this uh, year. Dick touching jokes and. Yeah. Mark's on it. Young yeah. actresses. Mark's really on a, a tear tonight. <laughs> Mark texted me a gif of Andrew Dice Clay earlier, so he is just feeling yeah. the blue humor. <laughs> Hickory Dickory Dock. Oh. The mouse ran up the clock. Oh. Uh, okay, go ahead. All right, so big quotes is your I see dead, dead people, of course. <laughs> is that your final answer? Uh, <laughs> Who Wants to Be a Millionaire was a huge, huge cultural phenomenon this year. I never watched it. A lot of people say it led the charge for co- competitive reality TV, which would take over our screens for decades and still is doing such a thing. Did you guys so. see The Sixth Sense in the theater? I did. No, I did not. I saw it. Yeah, I did. That was like the introduction to M. Night Shyamalan. It was a pretty good... The, the twist worked. It was fine. Yeah. Uh, now, 99 was an amazing year for movies, as far as, like, art house kind of stuff yeah, breaking this, through. This is definitely also my transition where I was like... Where we talk about Phantom Menace. Yes, yeah. I know. <laughs> no, no, no. I, the top ten isn't... <laughs> That's how we started the year out. The top ten isn't great. Uh, I still can't remember this day. I think we convinced ourselves it was good the first time we saw it. What, Phantom Menace? Yeah. Uh, I walked out a little conflicted. I was like, oh, it was... Fun, I think, but it was an experience. Yeah. I remember Star like, Wars experience. Crystal, Crystal Skull, Indiana Jones film. That was well, later. Yeah, it was, was later. Year, but yeah. what I like when I left it for the forty-five minutes, I was like, that was really good. And then it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Nope, that was really bad. <laughs> I didn't see that in theaters. Can you believe that? Uh, didn't right. miss much. Yeah. yeah, I did not either. Yeah. Um, the top ten doesn't really show you how much cool movies were coming out that year. There was like obviously Phantom Menace, Sixth Sense. Toy Story 2, top three, Fantastic, right there. Fantastic, right there. Uh, there's like some Austin Power movies, Matrix, of course. Um, oh, the Matrix, yeah, that's Big right. Big Daddy, The Mummy, I don't like that series, I don't care for that series. The, with Brendan Fraser? Yeah. Blair Witch Project. That was that, good. Yeah. Actually, how did that its time? Yeah. Funny, funny thing about Blair Witch Project, uh, I, until it came out and, and I read a review that said, oh, it's fake, I actually thought it was going to be a real documentary. Oh, they had me duped too. Yeah. But then, I, I was duped. Yeah, and the, but, but I saw it once. And it's like spooky, cool. And then I was at uh, my family's, uh, like my extended family's beach house. Yeah. And I took my cousins to see it in the theater and an earthquake hit right at that quiet part where she's like staring at the camera and everybody, my cousin tried to beat up the projectionist. <laughs> thought it was like a practical joke the theater was playing on us. Holy shit. It was insane. Shit. Yeah. No, literally, I know it's a, it's a movie, but like that last scene where mm-hmm. she's going down to the cellar. And the yeah. guy's in the and corner. the guy's in the fucking corner. Yeah. They'll do it uh, every time. I think I brought this up before, but in high school, I... Oh, spoiler alert, by the way. In high school, <laughs> my bedroom my bedroom was this old, insulated shed that was a few acres away from my parents' house. Yeah. And the night I fucking saw the Blair Witch, and I, and I went down there, and I had to, like, the light to my... I had to walk through two rooms, small rooms, to get to my room and turn the light on. And that whole time, I thought I was going to turn the light on, that guy was going to be in the corner. It was... Horrifying. Yeah. Funny thing, yeah. Blair Witch cost twenty five thousand to make, made two hundred and forty eight million. Good job. Wow. That is a huge, 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 huge uh, comeuppance. I'm sure the actors were just basically working on probably scale if they right. were. Yeah. 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 
Um, so let's see here. Other interesting things that happened. Hold on, uh, hold oh, on. Sorry. Let's think about the movies that did come out in 1999. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, that's what I, that's what I was getting to. Okay, sorry. Yeah, so like American Beauty, uh, which it's hard to watch now given Kevin Spacey. But it's, I mean, like that was a essentially arty movie that sure. that broke through. As was like Talented Mr. Ripley, Fight Club. Fight yeah. Club came out in '99. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was that was a that was a good year for movies. Uh, Requiem for a Dream, probably. Yeah, mm, 2000. Yeah, I think. okay. It's a year later. What about uh? <laughs> What about eight millimeter? <laughs> what about eight millimeter? What, seven? Seven was ninety nine. <laughs> seven was not ninety nine. Oh, wait, seven, seven came out right. in like ninety six right. or ninety seven. You're right. My no, bad. seven actually came out in ninety four. I think. No. Let's say ninety five. and split the difference. No, okay. it would have to be late enough to get that closer to remix on it. But and hurts filthy lessons. So it had to be at least ninety ninety four. Ninety five. But yeah. anyways, uh, yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about. What about uh, eyes wide shut? Two thousand. I think mm. I was two thousand. Probably right. Still, though. What about Dark City? What about Ooh, Dark City? 98. That was 97, 98. Man, just right. Anyways, missing the mark. <laughs> 99 was great. But let's let's keep going here. Um, Kiefer Sutherland in that movie. Like, yeah. Talks, like, this. Basically, yeah. it's his character from Twin Peaks Firewalk With Me that he became. Uh, That's right. Know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, Blue so Rose. Interesting stuff that happened. Uh, hacking. Hacking was big in 99. Because of the movie Hackers? Sure. Uh, that was not 99, but um, they revealed a security flaw in Hotmail. Uh, I still have a Hotmail account. Um, As do I. Uh, really? That if, if you get moved over to an Outlook account? I guess it is an Outlook yeah. account now. Yeah. Any Hotmail account you could access by typing the password eh, E-H. That would get in this year. That would get you into that account. Um... So Big Mouth Billy Bass was introduced, the singing fish, of course. Al Green said he received more royalties from that Take Me to the River than any other recording oh, yeah. song. Then that was on a Sopranos oh. episode. <laughs> David Byrne didn't help him out. So uh, That's a good cover. That's a great cover. I'm saying it's a yeah. why didn't Al Green get some more money out of that? Yeah. Some other interesting stories. Uh, three point four million copies of the animated movie Disney's Rescuers. Were recalled in '99 because two frames showed oh, a naked yeah. lady yep. in the background. Super fast. <laughs> yeah. What scene was that in, Mark? Uh, so, <laughs> okay. As they're being like chased down the street or Mark something like that, that there's a little image of a naked woman in a window. But literally, you would have to like freeze frame it. Like, uh, yeah, I don't think step. any seven-year-olds had the technology. No. But well, I did. I was versed in the, of course. The boner on the cover of Little Mermaid. Sure. The priest boner in Little Mermaid. Sure. And the the dust that says sex in Lion King. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, them Disney animators. Dirt, dirt bags. No good. <laughs> Steve, this will tie into our our private book club, but They Might Be Giants released the first MP3 album. Yes, uh, They Might Be Giants. Long, Tall, Weekend. They are really... I know two songs. Can you guess which ones? Constantinople. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> What's the other one? I have no idea. They're both on Tiny Toons. Tiny <laughs> Triangle Man? Triangle Man. Particle yeah. Man? Particle yeah. Man. That's yeah. it. <laughs> so, um, 1999 uh, movie adapted the 1965 TV series Wild Wild West. They got better when they, when they became the Bare Naked Ladies. Oh. Who's that? They the, might be the Giants? Yeah. Oh, my God. It's been... <laughs> I, I think they might be Giants fans would kill you for saying that. <laughs> guys, oh, we have a crossover audience. Guys, like, Wild Wild West. Twitter film me up. Starring uh, Will Smith. 
Controversy. That's how we'll get some listeners. <laughs> uh, Wild Wild West, you mean starring, uh, starring Kevin Klein? And yes, and yeah. Will Smith. And featuring. Yeah. Featuring. <laughs> Featured a giant steampunk spider that's considered the birth of the steampunk pop culture, uh, subculture. No. That wasn't the birth. I, My uh, God. I'm, the, I'm, this. I'm no steampunker. One of the most visible but... origins of steampunk subculture, hmm. according to this article. Okay. If any knuckleheads out there, I'll listen to visual. The so okay, visual. So like you could. Read if it, any I of guess. our listeners happen to be wearing a monocle right now, <laughs> email us in. Yeah. When yeah. did steampunk start? Yeah. Uh, it said visual, so not like a book, not like you're reading. Uh, you know. Or is really into Jules Verne. Right, Jules. Yeah. Verne. Uh, uh, <laughs> so did you know that that M Night Shyamalan wrote the screenplay for 1999 Stuart Little? Oh really? Anyways. Not a lot of was twists. he dead too in that in that movie? <laughs> <laughs> PayPal was voted one of the ten worst business ideas in 1999. Huh? Hasn't uh, pay, PayPal won that round? Marilyn Manson wrote a Rolling Stone article after Columbine, blaming the media for making the the murderers celebrities. Yeah, well, he's on something there. Yep. We still do it. Sure was. Um, and now people are lunatics that blame kids that survive massacres for the massacres. Yeah. Yep. We're not going to get into that. So, big TV shows, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire is number one with a bullet. ER is still going strong in Friends. And, of course, Frasier gets slides right into number four. Um, mm. Toss salads. Scrambled right. eggs. No yeah. good shows. X-Files is not in the top ten anymore. Uh, Frasier is undergoing, even, I think I was on something, Friends. Because I am the... Uh, friends? Like, I'm fucking Rush Limbaugh over here. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to hear Rush talk about Frasier. <laughs> As we know, Sharice had him on the show before. I love because yeah, they did a bunch of blow together. <laughs> <laughs> you could go back a few episodes, and I would have been talking about Fraser. Since then, Mark has been kept keeping me abreast of Fraser memes, and I'm telling you, they're multiplying. Fraser is in the zeitgeist again, yes. and I think I was I was ahead of this curve. <laughs> Mark or Eric, keep going. Okay, songs, uh, music took a terrible downfall. Oh, God. Well, this, is, this is what Trent Reznor was trying to save us from. I know. Yeah. In 99. And he, and he did. Kid Rock. Uh, and then, uh, you know, that, that terrible, in one of those Rolling Stone articles I was reading that were the, Trent, your album's about to come out. How do you feel? He was talking about the new Woodstock. The I guess that would have been Woodstock. 99. Three. Yeah. With the riot. Yeah. And he was saying about the one he was on, he's like, I'm not trying to say everything from my generation's better, but look at the quality of artists from Woodstock 94. Compare it to Fred Durst surfing, surf, surfing a piece of plywood, plywood up yeah. my ass. Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. what actually Trent Reznor says is Fred Durst could surf a piece of plywood up my ass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you don't forget sometimes that Trent, he, uh, he has a, a little bit of a mysterious shit-talking streak when he, he wants does. to. He, he can be yeah. pretty much a... He can Very be opinionated. He, he doesn't know, like, I'm sure his dr- publicist is like, ooh! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he can be a drama queen. Uh, Britney Spears, uh, Cher, believe, ugh. TLC No Scrubs. That's a good song. That's fine. Ricky Martin, Livin' La Vida Loca. Um, J-Lo. Which one? What J-Lo song? Uh, if You Have My Love. Destiny Child, Bill Bill Bills. Wild Wild West was one of the top five uh-huh. songs of the year the, by Will Smith, Cool Mo D, and Drew Hill. Guys, uh, music was terrible in 1999, as my personal developments were evident to. Uh, and uh, Were that you was... a Kid Rock fan, Eric? No, I was not. Okay. No, I was not. Yeah, your dignity is slightly intact. <laughs> I can't remember if I own that. Mark, I think, I think you did. Yeah, Mark accused me of owning that album. I can't. Devil without a cause. I can't deny it. I don't know for sure if I owned it or not. <laughs> I it very a, well could have been in the collection. I got a one time I went into to Dimple Records and, and I got a free promo tape 
for the bow with the bow single. Yeah. And I th- I Man, threw it against that my just wall. Juice you up. It's <laughs> 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 terrible. Just you know. Bow with the bow and dang a dang diggy. Had a bad yeah, day yeah. and just sure. putting that in the car. Fucking blaring that in the truck. Y2K <laughs> should have happened. We deserved Y2K. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, that was 99 Friends. And the world could not have been more ready for the A-bomb that was the Fragile. Hey, do you guys know what um, I, what album supplanted the Fragile? Because the Fragile came out and was number one for a week. For one week. And then it would drop down because all the fans bought it and uh, that was it. Corn. No. No. Oh. Creed. Oof. Oh, what's the first one? Yeah. Uh, With, uh, jar, uh, human Clay? No, I think that was uh, their second one. My Own Prison. I Jesus? think that was their first okay. one. Then it was Jesus, uh, whatever yeah. the big one was. My Own Prison, yeah. Isn't that fitting? Good God. <laughs> I mean, I had some friends that were uh, into Creed back in the day. That was I, never me. Never I, Steven. I don't <laughs> know how anybody... I'll take, I'll take credit for liking Godsmack at some point, but never Creed. I mean, they, these... <laughs> Stay away! These friends of mine, uh, you know, they were a little more religious than I was. Sure. Uh, it's Jesus. By meaning more, I mean, by any Jesus. religious. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, yeah, they were they were digging the creed, and I was like, this is the most bland, vanilla, generic They're, bullshit I've yeah. ever heard. Yeah. Nickelback followed suit a few years later, and it's like, these rockers say they, li- they like these bands. Like, there's nothing... This is not rock. I remember, like, someone described Nickelback as this is the type of music that people who listen to Garth Brooks who want to feel like they need to rock out. Yeah. Yeah. These bands, much like such bands as Korn and the rap rock movement learning the wrong lessons from Faith No More, these bands (laughs) learned all the wrong lessons from Collective Soul. Collective Soul only had like two hits. Or yeah, Vertical, vertical Horizon. These, I think there were Creed's more. a bad version of Collective Soul. I can actually. Don't co- spend a bound. <laughs> Collective song? Soul was a Christian rock band yeah, yeah, who at least yeah, had yeah, one yeah, good song. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Heaven let your light shine down. Yeah. yeah. That's a good. That's a good song. Hey, was live? Was live? Christian? Live was. Yeah, I yeah, think were, so. Yeah, they were too. They had a little bit. Live of, is uh, terrible. Uh, Absolutely actually terrible. Actually, I had throwing mental copper. jewelry. I, had, I, I, I never. I, had I bought mental throwing, jewelry. I bought throwing copper. copper. Yeah. Yeah. No. Lightning crashes, man. Lightning crashes. All right. Well, we've Zenta. done enough here. So now somehow, somehow, live. Somebody spilt some mutagen on him. They became disturbed. <laughs> <laughs> some mutagen. <laughs> They're the bebop and rock steady. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> I would actually like to close this segment out by just telling you that the lead singer of Disturbed gives the same. Uh, justification for his wah that Master P does for his uh and that is that you don't have any words to express the pain of growing up the way you grew up and that's the only way you can express it and I just want to end that on a, mo- a moment of unity I can, t- I can take it to the yeah. next level um, <laughs> Disturbed who I thought we were done with <laughs> I was reminded we were not done with them one day when I heard uh, in Newcastle, California, their cover of The Sounds of Silence from a few years ago. Did you guys hear about this? No. no. They covered Simon and Garfunkel's Sounds of Silence. Sure. Oh, my God. It was a big hit. And I was like, oh, I guess the stir's still around. Where is that coming from? It was my stepfather's ringtone. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> well, with that, we better uh, clean our palates by actually getting into the fragile. So stay with yeah. us. We'll be right back. Mark, why don't you let him uh, lead him out with the first track from the opening track from uh, The Fragile. There you go. 
And that was somewhat damaged by Nine Inch Nails off the album The Fragile. What a opening track that is. Fuck yeah. Oh my goodness, yes. I, uh, I'll try not to say, I remember the first time I listened to this, but in this case it makes sense. Because after buying the record at the midnight sale, and then we didn't get to hear the whole album online like we do now, beforehand. Didn't leak, I don't think. It didn't, no. No. And so the internet was not really a thing. Put that yet. put that in your 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 uh C D player in your car. And it's quite a quite an introduction to this record. It sounds it it, sa- it 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 starts out with what is some kind of and there's many out of tune instruments on this album, right? Uh, purposely so clearly, and uh, there's some kind of uh, I guess it's out of tune guitar strumming, and just some plucking like at the the it, like the head of the guitar, the head neck? of the guitar, yeah, and then the or almost sounds like a ukulele or something. I, I was like gonna that. say it's like the um, the glass bottle blues trick where you're basically turning your frets on an acoustic guitar into a percussion instrument because of the flaps and buzzes and stuff that it gives. Hmm. Like, he's doing that a lot on this album, and I, I love it. And it kind of fits in that whole, like, swamp industrial Yeah, sound. the swamp industrial is definitely what the album's yeah. going for. Yeah. And as that, you know, that, that, you're, oh, this is an interesting way to start the album. And then all of a sudden, we'll go back to our old familiar Terminator synthesizer start. That's right. And just pounding drums, and you're off to the races. Um... I, I mean, love this song. I, to I, me, this song this song feels like it's the most downward spiralish on this album. I don't know if if, if yeah. I'm crazy for saying that. I think it's a I little. Think it's, bit, it's, a, go ahead. it's a little too. One thing in this album that I like that comes up again and again and again is mm, things breathe more than the downward spiral. They sound less yeah planned. And I, I can see the downward spiral comparisons, but I definitely think it's too loose to be a downward spiral song. Right. I, what what I meant was, based on the lyrical content mm. and the fact that it's like one riff over and over and over again, then just builds on it every time, every re- single measure he builds on it. It's you amazing. really notice that on the instrumental version. Yeah. Yeah. It's every one of these songs is worth listening to the instrumental version for. Yeah. I mean, this particular song sounds like. Pots and pans falling down a staircase, but yeah. in a good way. Yeah, no, it, it's, there's. Yeah. A, it, it's not like a very catchy melody because uh, it's more. It's more of an introduction to what this album is right. gonna be like a little bit. And, just a. And I would say that 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 what you're talking about there is him sampling acoustic instruments, right? But using them as synths. Does that make sense? What he maybe previously would have done just on a keyboard tone or a synthesizer, he's sampling that guitar buzz. That that, but it's an acoustic sound. It's a natural, you know, you don't you get know, organic sound. Mm-hmm. But he's using that as a sample, and that's kind of what he does over and over again on this album in a great way. Yeah, this album, this album almost sounds like, and this is, I can't say this with a straight face, but. <laughs> And this is not meant to be an insult, but a lot of this album sounds like if the guys in the Blue Man Group decided to make a Nine Inch Nails album. <laughs> yeah, I could see that because it, it sounds like made percussion. It sounds like they were banging on whatever was. Well, nearby. yeah, they they yeah. they and picked it's true it, for some of the songs so, later. and some of the yeah. stories they've told. Like there was a uh, 
a box of gear that they shook for one of the like. I think oh, it's we'll in, get to that. I, okay, you know what well, song that is? I'm guessing it's later on this side yeah. of the album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. it sounds and, like what I think you said. It, we'll we'll get to it. I I get so excited. And and, in, and this song, right before it gets to that part where there's the uh, the vocals kind of go down and they are a little bit less tense, and he says like, you know, in the back to the side, there's a place that I go. Tried yeah. to stay, tried to ask, I needed that whole thing. That whole right segment, before yeah. that, there's a little part where someone sounds like they got a spoon out and they're wrapping it on a pipe. Yes, yes. Exactly what I'm like, talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. And the thing is, it sounds like right before he starts his lyric, like off the back, off the side, it's like a, something switches, like mm-hmm. a ting. Yeah. And then he goes into that little thing. Oh, yeah. man, that part gets me 100% of the yeah. time. I think I only aligned it with Downward Spiral. Lyrically, this lyrically, this could have fit on the Downward Spiral. Um, and song structure-wise, it could have fit on the Downward Spiral. But the sounds, this is a new thing. This is a new direction they're going in. It's a great intro. It's bridging what they were to where they're going, in my opinion. I think I think it, it is an A plus song, and a perfect way to bridge. Well, you, yeah, you definitely the old sound to the new sound. You definitely have to have that song before the day the world went away. If you opened up with the day the world went away, that would be really weird. Yeah. <laughs> but also, I don't people might be caught off guard. Now, that being said, the day the world went away was the first single off the album, so maybe I, I'm wrong. Well, let's go okay, on here's what. Well, are we going to go on? Are we done with somewhat well, damage? Yeah, so. you I, have to have I a somewhat think... damage. You can't just open yeah. the album with like La Mer. No. But uh, you no, know, one part of this song that it needs to be brought up is also the pacing of the final verse has a rhythm to it that always has worked for me. The uh, like the, the final verse where he talks about a, uh, you know, it's funny how everything you swore would never change is different now. Yeah. The way that cadence works with the beat is really interesting. Go back and listen to it again. The final verse, you'll see what I'm talking about. It gets into lockstep with the riffs and the beat. Yeah. And it, I, yeah, I know exactly that that segment of the song that you're talking about is one of my favorite parts of this song mm-hmm. because yeah. it's just it's bludgeoning you with yeah. the uh, the music and the lyrics at the same time it's uh it's an experience yeah i think yes. nine inch nails very quickly in this album will go to places they've never gone before but this first song feels familiar but is kind of bleeding into the new stuff the new shit well the way it even As Marilyn Manson loves the way it even sing about drifts into the day of the world in a way yeah. So you want to go ahead and go Let's on do to it. the yes. Day of the World Away? All right. Yeah. So should we hear a little bit of the World We should. Oh, my God. I've got a problem. Should we yeah. listen to a little bit of it? Yeah. Well, let's, let's hear a clip. Okay.
So in the spirit of somewhat damage acting as a bridge song, the way it drifts out and crossfades right into the day the world went away is very appropriate. Drones. They do a lot of crossfading on this album. It's probably my favorite album that utilizes one song leading to the next, to the point where I get really irritated when I listen to it on my, my uh, eye devices. Because I don't know if there's any way to get rid of this mark, but it always snips it in between songs. Yeah, I know. Especially if it's coming from like a, uh, um, like a MP3 version. Mm -hmm. I know it. There's no like crossfade. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It just there's just just enough of a pause to make me be a brat about it. That's why I listen to this one on vinyl. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, you know, we, we all you have know. a vinyl. You have a record player in your car. <laughs> I do. It's on springs, so it doesn't bounce too much. Yeah. Jelly donut. Um, so anyhow, the day the rolling away. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Eric might put together what I was talking about later. Um, the day the world went away. The day the world went away is the first single off the album. It's the second track off the album, and I remember when this single was released. It uh, it was just a, one of those slim line or slim the, jewel cases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Digipacks. It, yeah. it wasn't a digipack. Oh no, right. it was it was it was plastic. Oh, but okay. it was it was like those sing, those single ones that were really thin. Um, oh, I thought it had uh, the cardboard. No, it was a soft pack. Okay, okay. Those were two versions, but uh, in the album cover was or the single cover was a photo. Keeping in theme with a lot of the fragile artwork of a of a, like a closed desert flower, in black and white. Um, it's a great song. It is very. It starts out very peaceful sounding with these. Uh, well, what what does it do? Is it just what's the opening synth effect? Just it just sounds like droning. a wall of yeah. It's like drones and then just a wall of guitars. But yeah. the but the drones coming up to it sound kind of spacey. Yeah, they remind me. There's a couple of times in this album where I get reminded of like a King Crimson type thing. And they're very progressive sounding. And then, yeah, they bleed into a wall of guitars that this album helped me understand I th some other genres of music. I definitely really enjoy very loud droney guitar bands. Yeah. For example, the Melvins. And the Day of the World in a Way <clears throat> definitely could be, you could take Trent Reznor out of it and put Buzz in it. Sing the same exact lyrics. It could be a Melvin song. Sure. Yeah. I was going to say, like, an early... There was a... Steve, you and I, like, have been to shows in the early aughts. Uh, <coughs> bought, a, bought a lot of albums. Like, I'm thinking of, like, Kinski. Even, like, some mm. guy like Godspeed. Like, uh, like that was... That was definitely, like, an era where it was just, like, wall of sound, repetitive, like, guitar that is your rhythm. That is basically... You don't even need drums when the... You know, that's basically keeping your... Like, that. that is definitely a genre at that time. Yeah, it might... It, exi it pre-existed before this guy. Oh, guess, sure. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but the, the first band that I think really introduced me to a song like this would have been Nine Inch Nails. Or Velvet Underground. I heard Shoe Great, Gazy type stuff before. Yeah. But nothing this loud and uh, blended into 
a proper rock song like this one is. Yeah. And uh, I have some other thoughts about it, but what are your initial feelings on The Day the World Went Away? This is one of my, this is one of my favorite songs in the album. A weird, really weird choice for a first single. But then again, they're intentionally. Last... I, I think that was a shot across the bow. Like, yeah, this isn't your mom's Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> you know, and, and and I mean, Perfect Drug was their last single, but before that, it was Hurt, which is an equally weird single. Is this Halo Thirteen then? Yeah, I believe it is. Because uh, then the right. fragile is yeah, Halo 14. fourteen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like this. I think it's a. I think the lyrics are some like he, he's maturing as a lyricist. Oh, the great lyrics. Um, uh, it fits it's very the, simple. I fits mean, fits into the funeral funeral I actually, theme. I think, I think these lyrics, if I have to play psychologist, might be about his grandmother dying. Yeah, it fits in the funeral theme. Yeah, you just very you know, well. You know, right. I, I listened to the words the man had to say, but his voice was only decay. Yeah. It's like yeah, you're getting told news, and you're hearing it, but you can't really process it. You know, yeah. The day of the world. Right. Die. Yeah. Or. Or the, the priest at the funeral that's just, you know, spouting stuff that doesn't matter because they didn't know the person the way you did. You know, this particular uh, song, I, th- uh, you know, so when I first heard it on Halo 13, the single, I, I never listened to Muddy, My Bloody Valentine. After listening to My Bloody Valentine, I, I certainly saw the influence because of sure. that wall of guitars and very layered and uh, very shoegaze as our... Good friend Joe Vieira would probably uh, probably say, who's yeah. famously not a fan of this album. <laughs> I um, bet you. I see, Joe is so opinionated. Um, <laughs> aren't we all, actually? Sure. But I guarantee the reason Joe doesn't like this album is because it came out and it was not what he expected. Right. If he actually gave it a day in court, he would probably like they it. They backed up from the Tectotronics and went to the... Yeah. The, yeah. The, right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is also the first time... Uh, a Nine Inch Nails song has the famous lyrics of na 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 na. Yeah, no. Trent really started embracing his nas, his hoots, his oh's. <laughs> and I'm, I tell you, I love it every time it happens. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I love the na na nas in this song. Uh, they on the album they're credited to the Buddha de Bonte Choir, who are a bunch of random names I don't know. But they also went down to, I believe this is the song. Debutante. Debutante. Uh, <laughs> you know, I consider myself well read, but uh, what are you going to do? And uh, I believe they went down to a local pub and recorded people doing the na na na's on, on this. Yeah, yeah. I Same they, one where they got kazoos for uh, the pilgrimage? I believe well, actually, so. I feel like there's kazoos <laughs> on this song too. I don't think so. I don't think so. But, you know, this particular song I, I think is. Uh, uh, really done well live. This song is done well live. Yes. We will uh, really go into it the episode after next. But I agree with you. Live, they give it more room to breathe, I guess? Uh, yeah, and there's more <coughs> drumming and uh, a lot more of a sing-along song yeah. kind of uh, element to the audience and the band. I so, get very excited when it's live because they. I think almost every time I've seen them, they play this, I think. And they always have... Three guitar players? Yeah. Trent, yeah, Trent, Trent, Trent uh, Robin, and Danny would yeah. all play guitar. And they all, they usually, they'll all gather. Like, like standing on a triangle kind yeah. of formation? Yeah, like yeah. the light will just hit them. Yeah. And I, I love that. And um, so this song has been remixed 
almost as much as Starfuckers, which I think is the most remixed song off this album. Has it though? It's been remixed because there's the Porter remix, which is like a dancey remix of the song. Which is not good. That one doesn't no. make sense. No, there's the Quiet remix, which is kind of cool. And the Quiet yeah. remix is yeah. another really good variation. Because it starts out with the na 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 na. But also, yeah. the Quiet remix also has a section where you just have like soft brush drums. You're right. Yeah. Um, and this song actually has good, really good, like the okay. drums have weight. To this song, <laughs> yeah. Steve was miming something in yeah. that moment of silence. It's not, yeah, video. It's not a, it's not a it's not video here. But then there's like there's a uh, edited version, like a shorter version of the song, and then there's the um, there's the Terminator Salvation remix, which has never been released on anything. That's right. The, that was in the trailer. It's the gray and it's what's called what, gray and something version. Shit, man, you're pulling something. And, out. It's no, not, I it's on. That. It's on YouTube. It's never been released, and it's actually really cool. It's basically just the song. But there's Terminator drums, which we've talked about on the show before. The gong, 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 There's Terminator drums under, under, well, not, oh, man, not, not like, in that same not, beat. Not exactly Holy Terminator hell. drums. It's almost but, as if somebody listened to our yeah. podcast and then <laughs> yeah. traveled back in time to that's do right. that trailer. Yeah, that's right. For a Terminator movie. That's right. Uh, oh. So oh, score man. with me if you want to live. <laughs> it's a really good uh, remix, and I don't think it's been released on anything, but you can definitely find it on YouTube. This is a that's not the only song off this album used in an action movie trailer. Yeah, and it, I think it was used in a video game or two also. But um, it's a great song. It has a slow build. And did we talk was... about the video that was never released? No, we'll talk about it in one second. Okay. I actually, and... I think we'll talk about it on the. Uh, on the DVD when we talk about the DVD, right? Sure. I mean, we could do it then. Yeah, because it's an Easter egg on the DVD. Because it's an Easter egg. about it then. Yeah. But what I was going to say, and we will <laughs> talk about this more later as well on that same episode, is that the version on Still is also very good. Oh, it yeah. Is. yeah. It, it, there's the, the live version, yeah. the studio version, the version on Still are all different enough to where you could put together a nice little EP just with the yeah. three of them one by one by one. A wonderful song. Yeah, it's, it's a, a great really song. song. It, uh, it has it, it, slow build... Big finish, yeah. peaceful, weird single, really weird. Well, uh, the other uh, song on that single was so you had uh, the day the world went away, then you had the quiet version, and then you had Starfuckers. Yeah, Trent uh, was going all in on Starfuckers. <laughs> yeah, there was definitely, uh, and it had like a kiss sample at the end of yeah. that, like. On Starfuckers? That's on, the the That's on the album, too. Is yeah, it, but, this, but no, there always oh, is, okay. but they let it go longer yeah. on the long version. Yeah. And, it, and essentially, it's just at the very end, like, wow, wow! Yeah. Is it, yeah. yeah. yeah I appreciate in the, um, in the liner notes that they actually decided to type the lyrics, nah, nah, nah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just I mean, you, case, gotta, you gotta say that. In case you're yeah. confused. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's so, that song. And the, the, it leads... It leads very well because it kind of the song has rising action, rising and action. Then it, it, it crests, yeah, and then it kind of collapses again, like slowly. a wave, yeah, and then <laughs> and then it gets quiet and it goes into the track, the frail. Oh, yeah, the frail is a great instrumental little piano track. I think that would have been your spot. Yeah, okay. and that's <laughs> what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and take a listen.
So what do you guys think about the lyrics in this song? <laughs> <laughs> They're beautiful. You can barely make it out. I love so this song. This, this is, is the first of many, many, many instrumentals on this album. Which is great. As well as instrumentals recorded that aren't officially on the album. And it's nothing more than uh, the piano. Yeah. Right? There's nothing else going on it's here? It's such a earworm of a piano riff. And I, I think part of it is the use of it live. They use it as a bridge live to a couple tracks, right? Well, on this album, Frequently. no, they, they always... I mean, it builds it up to... Yeah. The, the, in the, the album, it goes one. into the wretched, which right. is where it belongs. And that's what they would do live. And then the last time I saw Nine Nails, I told you guys this on another podcast. Another podcast, another episode. Another episode. Yeah. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't our... You know. Steve was a guest appearance on uh, Pod Save America where he talked about <laughs> fragile. And I want to talk directly to, to Eric and Mark right now yeah. from Pod Save America. Yeah. Um, That's right. No, they, Adam I don't know how often they, on the last tour they used it before <laughs> Reptile, which Mark thinks makes sense because he thinks those two songs kind of uh, are mirror images of each other. I could say they're cousins, yeah. I've gotten actually, I've actually wretched, gotten, wretched I've actually gotten notes, reptile up and down the street. I've gotten notes from listeners level. that don't understand why you guys don't like reptile, by the way, but I, that's we'll, just me, isn't it? <laughs> we'll go, Reptile's fine. I don't think Reptile's it's bad. A great song. It's, it's not big man with a gun. It's just, I don't write, you know, it, it's basically, I think how he it doesn't make a song like she spreads. It's a little Billy Corgan for me. Okay. Reptile doesn't make its way into any mixtapes in my book. Yeah. Okay. Doesn't mean it's terrible. Guys, uh, the frail's great, and the frail gives us the wretched. It does give us the wretched. That's oh. it? So we're going to no, talk about the frail? Okay, sure. Hold on a second. Oh, do you have more to say? Well, it's a little interlude, but I guess it, we don't need to, like, you know, it's, you know, drag it out. It's very peaceful, but, but it's also very sinister. It starts out, what I believe, just, like, grand piano-ish. But then towards the end, it goes, and it has a electric tinge to it. And also, it's worth mentioning that the uh, melody of the frail is from the song The Fragile, which comes up later. Yeah. And I love the reuse of melodies in the song. It actually happens quite a bit. I actually want to use this as a, a moment to mention, maybe I'm crazy here, and I could be, but he's... Here's my number, so call me maybe. <laughs> <laughs> he uses... Uh, he uses... Um, Steve did not like that That's one. That's not how the song even goes. Is it? No, it isn't. You're right. He uses uh, the between the raindrops, what I will call the... Between the raindrops. Was what I will call the move, the musical move he's making on this album a lot. The, the dun 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 It's like the build-up to... There'll be, a, there'll be a repeating riff. Sure. But there's a huge da dun 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 and I feel like it happens on the opening track. It happens... On uh, into well, the, the melody void, that it happens onto okay, La yeah. Mer. Like yeah. there is that like build up thing. So like in the like downward spiral, his particular motif was that kept repeating was that dun dun the closer dun, yeah. Dun. So you're saying that 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 is the motif for, for this, this particular one is the dun, dun dun dun. Just just listen to that. It's like I'll call it a fill. Like there's a fill in like a half measure. Before the riff starts over in a lot of songs, it doesn't happen in the frail, okay. but I, this is this is bringing up this memory. So listen for it. Um, it's it's just kind of like that half measure uh, build up that sounds very similar in a lot of songs on this, which is great. So okay, yeah. Um, so we're into the wretched, which might be the. I was texting Steve or you guys this early. But it might be the greatest musical composition of all time. 
<laughs> I mean, uh, Beethoven. Yeah. Go yeah. Roll, Get out of here. roll over Beethoven. Oh yeah, <laughs> the big old fuzzy dog is what That's he's right. talking about. That's right. Take a back seat, Falooza. That's right. <laughs> so uh, no, but seriously, the wretched. The I don't know what's going on in that song, but it's amazing. Uh, yeah. Uh, did you want to hear a little bit before we uh, yeah, go? Yeah. Why don't you? Why don't you do that? Doggies, that was a good friggin' song. We're really, okay, so, really gonna Casey Case ourselves into these things. Okay, so there's a lot that happens in the song, but if 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 there's one takeaway, it is the looping, droning bass, the bass synth, the with the piano line. Oh, you can't you can't make that shit up. That's so good. It's it's, it's so according it's, to your pamphlet there. By the way. Uh, our Your guy flit like our, he's like going door to door. Yeah. Your chick track and nine inch nails. Um, Have you heard the good word? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're looking. We're using the vinyl booklet. Uh, apparently, Trent Reznor did everything on this song. Yep. Yep. I don't believe it. Well, the 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 book says written and performed by Trent Reznor, except as noted. And then there's a page that gives you those. Notes. I mean, we know that everybody like there was like a ton of producers and mixers in this album. But just the music, the, the compilation, the composition, and the actual musicianship is all TR in this one, huh? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. If we ever get him on the show, I'm going to ask him about that. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm not buying it. Because <laughs> it sounds like there's, there's entirely too much going on. Yeah. Well, that can't be all studio magic. This song, I will say this song definitely seems like a basement produced Trent Reznor track. I could buy it. It's not into the proggy stuff that the rest of the album gets into. But I disagree because there are parts <laughs> on this song where there is audio trickery where it sounds like the guitar is like ricocheting, ricocheting into space. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember during the recording of this and like in post interviews that Adrian Blue went in there and Trent Reznor was in the uh, control room. And he basically was just having Adrian Blue just play whatever, and just 
and then Trent Reznor was like manipulating the guitar sound on this um, song. I don't know about this song, but just for this album. But this song in particular seems like that would be the trickery that would be put in for this particular song mm-hmm. well, because of all the guitar wah wahs and you know everything that's going on. I mean, it's a layer of guitar work. According to on. this, Adrian Blue doesn't even show up till just like you imagined. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean. And that doesn't make much sense to me because this one seems like it right. would be very proggy to have like the uh, the transcending guitar going in and out of space and um and at the very end of the song when after he's Eric's uh, right he's only on uh, just like you imagined in the great below really yeah that's wild maybe maybe Tremors in here doing it but you know the part I'm talking about is you know there's the that. Yeah. Yeah. You know exactly no. what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know exactly oh, yeah. what you're talking to, about. It goes from speaker to speaker. It does. If you're wearing a, yeah. uh, headphones, it's uh, yeah, taking you on a journey, folks. So I, I love the Wretched. I think I think it's it's one of their best songs. Well, the yeah, the, it has a strong opening with that foreboding piano. Yeah. It has the the riff during the chorus is such a good marriage between the now you know. This is what it feels like with that. It's that Nine Inch Nails compressed guitar sound yeah. that's just yeah. signature. It's perfect, and it uh, has like a lumbering progression to it that is very menacing. Yeah, it's the name itself. It's wretched. That's a great title for a song. Right, yeah. One of my favorite lyrics in this entire song, and you guys will probably guess it. Oh yeah, I know it is. It's the best. It's <laughs> the actually clouds a, will part. Yeah. The sky cracks open and God himself will reach his fucking arm through just to push you down, so just good. to hold you down. I listen to this song before work some days because it's just like, no one's been, you know what, time to take care of shit. <laughs> and it's that line, that line is the best use of the F word in the whole nine shows. Yeah. Uh, God. Since fistfuck. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that is one of my favorite because, I mean, it just like. It paints, it paints a picture. It paints It a paints picture. a picture of, you know. Not necessarily like a Monty Python style, but just God reaching out the clouds because and holding somebody down. Trent is maturing as a lyricist. Because if you think about it, like you think everything is going just sunshines and rainbows, and then the clouds part open, and God himself reaches down to push you into the shit. You know, I don't know exactly what he says next in the song, because it's kind of raspily screamed. With the shit and the piss, and it's hard to yeah. believe it could come down to this. That, that part... Back at the beginning, sinking, spinning. What I like about that is that there are a few times this album where he leaves some raw-sounding vocals in. Right there is definitely one of them. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But this is a great song. It sounds good live. It's a great song live. The band really brings it live on this this one. Robin Fink ties into it. It also is one of a few uh, songs in this album that has a great guitar solo. It's not overbuilt. It, does, it doesn't go. It's not Buckethead. It doesn't go on forever. But <laughs> towards the end there, right before the last verse, the last chorus, there's a great little. Rob, I guess it's Trent Reznor on this one. A guitar solo. The down 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 down. It's got it's got that groove. And then there's a extra layer of percussion during the last verse. Yeah. When he's uh, saying, "Now you know this is what it feels like." The first time I, we saw him live, we saw him at the Cow Palace, Nine Inch Nails on the Fragility 1.0 tour. 
Um, they played this song. I remember Trent Reznor hanging all over Robin Fink mm. during that part that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just fucking awesome. And then what does he say? You, like you some. What does he say at the end where you figure it out, but it keeps on coming? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, it's kind of in the background there. Yeah, you can try and, to stop it, but it keeps on coming. And it mm-hmm. goes... And there's another great use of crossfading into a song that we should hear a bit of right now. Oh, God. We're in this together. Please. cigarettes you know what's funny is that uh peek behind the curtain here we're trying to do a new technique where we introduce the songs for where the clips are fitting in and i just realized that every time we come back we're talking like you left the entire song in there (laughs) Uh, yeah but uh the parts that i'm gonna put in there oh they're 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 gonna blow your hair back (laughs) four star four star clip so uh just as an outsider um yeah, let, me I text- get, let me just let me just cut you off. Yeah, this is my favorite Nine Inch Nails song. So good, one hundred percent. You too. Like absolutely. Have- okay. This I is did- the song I went played at my wedding, <laughs> at my funeral, <laughs> at my kids' birthday parties. Yeah. So good. <laughs> anyway, Actually, Derek, I'm sorry. I don't know. I, if it's my, I don't know system. if it's my favorite song, but in my this re-listen was my the one I appreciated the most. And when I heard the song, I felt like I was a born again virgin. You know, you could born again virgin. Yeah. Again virgin. Right. You can just pray. You can just pray the pray the hymen away. You know. Okay. 
It's a thing. <laughs> Anyways. I'm not familiar. This is where, like, I think Eric in his Mormon days were... <laughs> I always, forget, I always forget about Eric's run as a Mormon. Uh, and I hope I'm not getting any. I got plenty of Mormon friends, Mormon listeners, maybe. What do they do with listening to Nine Inch Nails, though? That's, that's I feel like that's a really big conflict. Jason Hellowell was not raised a practicing Mormon. Mormon though. He's raised Mormon. Yeah, right. He was, yeah. All right. We're in this together, though, is uh, just, one song I took for granted. You can't get away from the church. Doesn't mean you gotta take it out on everybody else. <laughs> God. You, you, Anyways, all right, listen to I have not been in a church in so. Uh huh. All right. Just because I had After some rules. After they exiled you. Just because I had some rules growing up. Just because I had some be- rules yeah. and boundaries about decency as a child. I only played Nintendo 30 minutes a day, which is why I come over here and I do this, and Eric's in the living room playing Nintendo. Because he was repressed as a child. <laughs> We're in this together is a wonderful song. I took it for granted for many years. On this re-listen, it was it was like I said, I was like a born again. It was like a born you saw again. Light. I heard it so many times. I'm sure I saw it live. I saw it live. You did not no, see did this not. live. You did not see this song they not, live. They don't play it live. They played it five times. Oh, then I haven't. Yeah. Seen Were you in Lisbon? <laughs> yeah. Then I haven't seen it live. <laughs> then I haven't seen. It live. All I'm this trying to say is interrogation. I, this but. is my point. As I took it for granted for many many yes, years. I wish I wish they played it live. Well, I took yeah. it for granted for many many years. And then on this re-listen, I was like, this song is uh, romantic, it's mm-hmm. badass, it's, 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 it's wonderful. It, it's, it, dare I say, it, it's positive. It's positive, they take the wall of sound, and they go crazy with it. Now, I'm gonna go on a limb here, like, okay, I'm trying yeah. to eliminate the likes here. This particular song is Trent Reznor's version of David Bowie's Heroes. No, 100%. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's great. That. I, I lyrically Fully there's a connection that. there and uh, even the video kind of has it looks like it could have been on the wall could have been filmed on the Berlin wall or yeah. just the it's black and white the cover of Heroes is black and white sure and but, Trent uh, was also showing us his new uh, Bronson Pinchot or Balky from <laughs> Perfect Strangers look yeah <laughs> he stuck with that for a while it was in that period he cut his hair but he didn't gain he didn't lift weights yet so he's like the nerdiest dude you've ever seen yeah he looks <laughs> I straight think from me I think it's endearing I um, think it's great I think it's yeah great. no definitely the, it has some lyrical connections to heroes there and also this uh, this song was I believe the last song recorded for the album um, it came out of a a little it was like a leftover of another song begat this song and he said that this kind of tied together a lot of things he was working through on this this out this 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 album. And yeah, the, uh, the lyrically, it's got like you know, it's a positive message. You're saying we're going to get through this thing together. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't even talk about how the song sounds yet, but very recently I was driving home from Colfax with my wife, and I had this album on, and I was like, I never noticed that melody. And uh, my wife Rebecca was singing along with it, and I was like, "Oh, well, I like the song even a little bit more now." Sure, I didn't know she was a fan of it. She's like, "Oh, this is one of my favorite National songs." I was like, "Yeah, I think this is a song that a lot of people like, whether they know right. it or not." And it wasn't like a huge, massive hit. It wasn't like a closer it's a seven minute song. I mean, that's, right. there was that's a radio cool. edit that was what five? They five, trimmed it yeah. down to maybe six per five. The I radio think... edit is jarring to me. It just throws me all off. They cut like a lot of the 
uh, do they cut the solo out of it, or do they just like just shrink the bridge, or uh, I don't they know? cut the solo down? Yeah, there's cut. a whole intro too that, that, that yeah, there's almost the a minute long soundy intro that they cut out. Well, yeah, the, the way the way it starts in the album is it comes out of the wretched, and then there's actually some almost bug production on it. Yeah, the bomb ba dum ba dum ba dum, and then uh, da 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 and then there's the <coughs> whoosh, 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 bottom, bum, 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 bottom, bum, 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 bum. It has such a really weird drum beat. Yeah. Some right. Oh, yeah. And, and I, well, the drum beat, just an aside, me and friend Brian Strand used to make funny comedy sketch videos. And we made one where we were a ridiculous rock band and we just stole the drum beat from the song and looped it over and over again. Yeah. During the verse? Yeah, the, the very beginning. But there's, anyways, there's not a good story from that, but it, it was just, it was a fun memory. But um, I'm not going to go all nerdy on this and try to tell you like a thematic story that he's trying to tell in this well, album. Well, that's what people are here for, but you do whatever you I don't, to do. I don't have one for this album, but there are some songs where... Either he's fragile or the person he loves is fragile. Mm. And there's a lot of that where he's like... Little on the nose, Eric. Where he's really taking care of the person he loves. Eric just looked at me like I was an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. No, I'm sorry. He and walks then... like a duck and quacks like a duck. <laughs> Eric, the next song is also evidence of that as well. Right, yes. right. But, but I feel like this is like that one time where it's like, it doesn't matter, you know, we, both, we all have problems, but we're going to get through it. This song definitely wears its heart on its sleeve. And, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it starts off with these drones, and then it gets into that herky-jerky rhythm, and the, uh, you know, awake to the sound! It's, uh, and it's the fully realized wall of, wall of sound yeah. guitar. But then the when the, the chorus, the chorus, like, the chorus is what makes this song. The chorus is, who, who's on this, who's on this one? Anybody just just Jerome Dillon plays drums on the chorus. Okay. That's it. Yeah, yeah. And they really put him through his paces on the chorus. Uh, and the, the 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 guitar work on the da 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 and we should really way. compile all of Steve's like <laughs> make that yeah, an album. You could make a whole Buffy the Human Beatbox album. <laughs> <laughs> but those those guitars with Trent Reznor yelling, "You and me, we're in this together." Yeah, work perfectly together. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's romantic, it's aggressive, and at the same time, it's melodic. And uh, Jerome Dillon's working his ass off during those choruses. Yeah, yeah, and. It then gets, you know, you have all that going on. But then, as if the song isn't good enough, you have the, uh, the, the part where he's, he's singing the, the, the deeper in the wound, I'm inside you, together, together. Sure. And during the second time he sings that, there's this little uh, keyboard melody underneath it. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. That's I awesome. Mm -hmm. Then it goes into the chorus again. And then he talks about we could hold on. And then there's this, this guitar solo by yeah. Robin Fink, which is amazing. I, I, don't, I don't know. Robin right, Fink is on the record. Live. He's not. Yeah, yeah. live. Right, right. live. No, live. Not even yeah. live. It's only played it five times live. Now we're lying to ourselves. I guess it's from Reznor. <laughs> the guitar solo was great. Yeah. Trent can play guitar. He can. I know. Um, 
So good. So great song. But it's like it's like one of those. He's like, I'm here. I'm positive. Deal with it, and it's Deal a with great it. song. Yeah. Um, this uh, song or single had three different versions of the Halo. It had. Uh, and they're all imports. None of them were available domestically. So if you wanted to buy these goddamn things, like you were you, showing up about like 13 bucks a pop. Like you did? I did. I bought them all. <laughs> I did. For some reason. Bought them all. Um, and in fact, if you, were, his money. if you were to like find these goddamn things on eBay or Amazon, I remember the going rate was like 50 bucks a fucking piece. Jesus Christ. But anyways, I had them all. I still do. Um... And uh, obviously the song is on there three different times. Uh, I don't remember the exact track listing off the top of my head. One of them was a remix of uh, Complications of the New Flesh. Right, well, no, and we'll get into that because I'm actually, I actually have a lot to say about that song. Complications of the Flesh... Is uh, a, maybe we'll save that for the third episode with all the ancillary stuff. So no, we'll save it for the second episode. But yeah, yeah. Oh well, let's we'll, we'll just save it then. Um, <laughs> just save it. We'll just save it. So uh, it also has the Porter remix, the Porter Hicks remix of "Day the World Run Away." Yep. Um, it has a version of the Perfect Drug with an extended ending. Yep, the long version, and it has it has the quiet version of uh, "Day the World Run Away." Yeah, yeah. All right, so. Nine songs that, for the most part, are probably compiled somewhere else, with the exception of Complications of the New Flesh. And I'll just say this right now. I, it's not a big deal, but uh, Complications is a song we'll talk about later, and The New Flesh is a song we'll talk about later. They have some similar um, sonic themes. Danny Loner did a mashup. He remixed those songs together into Complications of the Flesh. So it's, it's a very cool curiosity for Nine Inch Nails. It's a fun remix because he's taking two songs and making it kind of a rock and techno drum and bass kind of thing. So actually, that might be my favorite song from all these these uh, fragile singles. But that's yeah. That. Okay. Um, and then the video is essentially um, Trent Reznor, black and white. It was directed by Mark Pellington, who was a filmmaker. He did a movie called Arlington Road. Um, I did not know that was the guy that made that video. The mm. one with Jeff Bridges yeah. and uh, Tim Robbins? Yep. Oh, no, I was thinking of... Uh, what's that one where uh, the girl from Titanic and Leo are having troubles? Oh, uh, oh that's, uh, another, that's uh, something else road. Yeah, uh, yeah. Revolutionary road. Revolutionary, yeah. Arlington yeah. Road is about like a terrorist family that moves next door. Yeah. And Jeff Bridges bomb. is... Yeah. Oh, God what? damn, they're building... My neighbors are building a bomb! <laughs> It was before he really embraced his southern side. Um, and then, uh, so the video is all in black and white. Trent Reznor is running a lot, and he gets on a train. A lot of people who look like him, dress like him, are also on that train. All uh, black, swearing black in the desert. It's a great video. He like smiles that. at a girl that's pretty. Uh, then they go into the desert. A lot more running, and all of a sudden, they all fall down. And Trent wakes up, and there's just a lot of clothes around him. The, the editing of the video works well with the pace of the song. I like the video. They speed it up and they slow it down well with the song. And the outro to the song, when the guitar solo goes away, the chorus comes back. Uh, there is a guitar melody that gets layered underneath everything that's kind of like a... Uh, I have to go do this again. The 
Dun 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 You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. That guitar melody at the end there? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's wonderful. And that kind of segues into some a muted instrumentation and it fades off. And then it sounds like someone hits the last key in a piano and then stands up and walks away from the piano. Kind of like in the epic video. <laughs> not, not as good as the epic video, but then again, what is? Um, so we're into The Fragile, which is the title track, and let's listen to it. So that was the fragile. It sometimes back in my younger life when I was more melodramatic. And God knows I can be melodramatic now, but even more melodramatic. That was my favorite song for a while. It was supplanted long ago by many others. Is sure. this the first song that Trent does not use the word I in it? By the way, since we started this podcast. <laughs> oh no, no he does. I, he I won't let you fall apart. Since still, we started this podcast. It's not about him. The use of eyes doesn't bug me as much as it used to. But, well, that's not what we're here for tonight. Uh, he did start maturing as a songwriter a bit in this album. I'm sorry, a lyricist. Anyhow, this, the lyrics of this song are very direct. They're very... They're, he's trying to save someone. You know, he literally says, I won't, you know... What does he say? I won't watch you fall apart. I won't let you yeah. fall apart. Yeah. And, 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 and he's the one he's always trying to stop from falling apart. So it is a growth. So there's right? some growth. Yes, exactly. It's perspective. The, yeah. Trent Reznor of the Downward Spiral. He's still going through some shit. But he's trying to learn some lessons. And uh, it's a pretty good song. It's... Well, whose point of view is this song, though? You know, is, is, is he's saying that... You know, so she is mentioned a lot in this song. Like, she shines... In a world full of ugliness, she matters when everything is meaningless. And I don't know if, like, is he talking about his grandmother? Is he well, talking yeah. about his... Well, it would be weird. Okay, so he could be saying he's talking about his grandma. And then when he says, I won't let you fall apart, he's talking to himself. I have no idea. Because like, his grandma died. So, right. you know, he's not trying to say. See, I don't... Here's the problem. Whenever, like, I, I read a story or an interview, like, what was going on in his life, I tend to try to connect the dots. Like, is this the song that he was writing for his loved one? But I think later in the album, 
uh, I look forward to joining you finally. Mm-hmm. I think that one is more on the nose, and maybe a little bit of the day where the world went away, maybe when... I feel like this one is more connected to the the previous song, We're In This Together, mm-hmm. because there's a... Ro- I feel like there is also a romantic tinge to this song. So could this possibly be like two points of view? That's what I was going to, that's what I was thinking. Like she is saying to him, I won't let you fall apart. And he's saying she shines in a world full of ugliness. So this is essentially his fairy tale of New York by the Pogues. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Right. Without the F-bomb. I would love for him to. (laughs) Uh, Come on. You gotta let that one slide. Um. That's a great song. I mean, uh, I, 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 I feel you on that one. No, I, I was just trying to think of a song where two people are singing towards each other. Right. Um, as being kind of... Uh, where the Wild Roses Grow. Uh, <laughs> there you go. That's a good one. Uh, or um, no, that, Henry, that, Henry Lee. Lee. Henry, Henry Lee. Lee, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, this is, a, this, is a, this is a good song. It, I really like the, uh, the choice of uh, keyboard for the opening. It's very soft. Um, for some reason, I don't have a ton to say about this song. The first time we saw it was on those uh, MTV Awards, right? That's right. Uh, so the single for We're In This Together was already out. The video was already out. Uh, so Nine Inch Nails was coming out and to perform on the Video Music Awards, which is pretty unheard of because, I mean, this is the time when, like, No Doubt was very popular. Bush was very popular. In 99, like, Bush was still popular? I don't know if Bush was still popular. I feel like those... Kid those Rock award, was popular. Those award shows, like... Right. Limp like, Bizkit was very garbage. popular. Like, those, right. those video... Britney Spears was probably... No, but this was, is, like, this five is years earlier, you might have got, like, Beastie Boys, like, a good yes, right. act. But, like, at this point, it was... But that's, that's the thing, is that garbage. Trent Reznor went away at the top of his powers with the downward spiral when all of these contemporaries <laughs> that were good, in our opinion, and most people's opinions... Were around five years later, the whole thing changed, and everybody that was popular was Backstreet Boys type acts or bad rap music, yeah, and or Kid Rock, Kid Rock, yeah, was, uh, Limp Bizkit was really popular at this time, yeah. Um, and so, uh, when they were on the VMAs, uh, it was interesting to see, like, first, well, shit, Nine Inch Nails is gonna be on here. And everyone was probably expecting them to do We're In This Together, but then they come out with and do this song. And it was the configuration of the band that was Jerome Dillon, Trent Reznor, Charlie Clauser, Robin Fink, and a couple of cello players. Were cello players on stage with them? I really think Shit, man. I watched I, it recently. You did? Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, then you have one on, on me. I haven't watched it in years, to be honest with you. You uh, were classing up the VMAs. I might have dreamt this, dear listeners, but I think that's what happened. And I, them wrong. I totally remember uh, after the fact, they asked Trent about it, and he was really nervous. Uh, he was wearing monitors in his ears, and he was not uh, hearing in real time what the band was playing, and it made it very difficult. He said his head was like in a fishbowl, and I'm sure, you know... He probably took. A, I, I I'm not going to speculate, but you know he was definitely dealing with substance abuse and uh, coming off of a five year absence of being in the limelight and now being on MTV. I'm sure put a little pressure on him. So who knows if maybe there was some chemistry involved. An interesting thing from that performance is that there are some uh, fluorescent lights that kind of start to the side of the band that rise above the band. Oh. 
and that'll get used. They will take that idea and use it much more on their tour soon afterwards. Oh, so good. Yeah. So good. I mean, it was a, it was a good performance. Yeah. I mean, I loved the song. It, it sounded like, uh, so Jerome Dillon, I believe, has a tambourine on one of his floor toms. And so when he's hitting that, uh, it just it was just a different sound. And again, this is before the album came out. And so I hadn't heard this song. So this was, you know, obviously a new song sure. for me. The VMAs are classically in the late summer, early fall, uh, as anybody knows. As anyone <laughs> who has their... Finger on the pulse of the VMAs. Right. Um, it's a good title track. It is a good title I think, track. I think it, uh, it's a really pretty song. It's melodic. It's got a couple of cool sonic parts. One part of this, for some reason, this song always reminds me of Strawberry Fields Forever. I don't know. Really? How. That's a good There's just call out. Yeah, it, it, that's it, wild. It bangs across part of my brain that makes me think of that song. And... Um, there's that interesting keyboard part where it goes, you know, like... It's really quiet. Uh huh. There's just that. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then also, the drums like boom, boom. Yeah. Boom, boom. That's yeah. really that's some really good deep drums. And also uh, another guitar part is the down 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 that little guitar solo flourish towards the end there uh, as the the chorus builds into the I don't I won't let you fall apart. And that's like a really solid part of the song for me because it starts off a little bit like, uh, I don't know, it doesn't start off strong, um, but then it ends extremely strong. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This song is another one with good rising action. Yeah. He knows his dynamics. Yes. So it goes into another instrumental track called Just Like You Imagine. Some would say this is the best instrumental track of Nine Inch Nails' entire catalog. And if you've seen the 300 uh, trailer, you'll know what song we're talking about. Let's take a little listen. My God, that goddamn fucking piece of instrumental work just gets me. I mean, my God. <laughs> and again, peek behind the curtain. We listened to like five seconds of that song, and we're all playing air guitars and air yeah. drums. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the whole fake band was the whole, going at it. We were humming. We were humming. <laughs> we were looking at each other with full eye contact, and... Uh, yeah, that that song gets me juiced. I'm ready to play some football. 
<laughs> so the piano on that song was done by Mike Garson, who is... Don't leave us in suspense. I don't know. He's a David Bowie player. He's a he, David Bowie player. Yeah, he, Dave Blair. Uh, he uh, <clears throat> has toured with David Bowie. I believe he's uh, stretched as far back as Ziggy Stardust. Nice. He works with The Cure sometimes, I mm-hmm. believe. I thought yeah. his name was Mick, but maybe I'm thinking of another guy. Uh, well, there was a Mick, I think, in the, one of the... Uh, Mick, fuck. Sure. Sure. But anyways, <laughs> uh, also guitarist by Danny Loader and Adrian Ballou. So we have our... And it's so, fitting that a guy from King Crimson is on this song. Yeah. Because it's a uh, it's an instrumental monolith with some zany... Uh, two, it has two things in it. It has those ridiculous... Sounds. And then right after that... Uh, a cat gets loose in the studio and dances all over the piano. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's very uh, typical of uh, Mike Garson's playing. David just Bowie. like, just he, bing, did he bing, play bing, on bing. the outside? He did. Yeah, that that makes sense to me. Yeah, he likes to jazz it up. Bing, 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 bing. It's the notes he's not playing. Um, <laughs> just all of them. But as also, we say, like, a, lot of, a lot of out of tune work on this album. I yeah. feel like Adrian Ballou, the guitar work. I feel like there's a very signature sound, which is like a plucky, but reverby, but not distorted Are you guitar. Uh, with Adrian Ballou? Yeah. It sounds like you want to get into more King Crimson. <laughs> well, Eric, I can help you with that. Well, we'll talk about that later. But what I mean is like, I feel like that sound, Trent was primed for that, mm-hmm. and we'll find it more often. A reverby, not distorted, plucky kind of guitar work well even adrian Ballou doesn't do much actually you know what i take that back i think he works on some other albums after this he's on ghosts and he's on something else um he's on hesitation marks he's he's as fresh as you can be yeah but uh, official memory. there is a part of the whole point of this podcast is starting with the next album there is a guitar tone that trent Reznor has used for every album since and i can't figure out how to explain the similarity and i'm gonna need your guys' help it has nothing to do with Adrian, Adrian Blue, but it just reminded me of it. The, from With Teeth up until those EPs that just came out, Trent Reznor started doing something where all the guitar work has this similarity that I can't explain, but it, it involves something like with jet planes and being off in the distance. I'm way off the reservation. Oh, my God. <laughs> Can you guys Red Rocker. Oh, man. Hey, Art Bell died last night. This is my uh, the, the mescaline kicked in, apparently. <laughs> Anyhow, just like you imagined, is a great song. A great composition. Oh, man. It's a great song. It kills you live. It's great live. Um, there's theremin work. Um, every bit, I think every every member of the band gets a little bit of time to, to, to shine. show off. Sure. Yeah. And uh, it even has, Mark was mentioning, it's, it, it has this grand proggy instrumental instrumentation to it. And there's this part where everybody, everybody in the band live and on the album on who was in the studio, they all start going, ah, and like chanting together. Yeah. And it all, they turn the dials up and it coalesces. And then all the instruments kind of crash in on each other. Right. Again. And then it explodes. Yeah. It's so good. Um, <laughs> It's no. a really good instrumental. See, sometimes, and, you, and Deviations are some of these, and I, I like everything I heard on Deviations, but sometimes instrumental songs can be just too samey, and I'm like, that could have been 30 seconds. This takes you on a whole journey, 
it feels like a complete experience. It is very dynamic. Yeah. It is a sonic head trip. Yeah. Without any lyrics. I mean, in a past episode, Eric got very combative with me saying, I just don't like instrumental music. True, you don't, but... I mean, How could you be a Nine Inch Nails fan and not like instrumental music? <laughs> I mean, he's he's partially right. I'll give him half credit for that one. But for this song, it's Mark in my likes, pantheon. I, I'm going to talk about him like he's not here. Mark's a big Mogwai fan. I'm a big Mogwai fan. They have like three songs with lyrics. That's true. Explain that, Eric. <laughs> I like good instrumental music. I like music that, I mean, because I, I like Godspeed, You Black Emperor. I mean, that's, sure. you know... Sure. Yeah. You used to like uh, most Nine Inch Nails instrumental songs. Well, that's 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 a lot to say because I think Ghosts. It sounds like a scratch record. It sounds like a record that was uh, a concept of half ideas that never got fully fleshed out. That's actually pr- pretty accurate. And so, it's still a great lesson. It's not like I hate Ghosts, but I would never reach for it. And oh, I'm sure. only going to reach for it when I'm in a completionist mood. Where I want to run through their entire discography. Speaking of discography, uh, just like you imagined, goes deep, even deeper, into a song <laughs> called Even Deeper. All right. <laughs> All right. These segues are getting prime time. But let's hear a little bit. Even deeper when it came out, there was this song. Dr. Dre was on it. I was into rap. It was like a bridge between what I loved before and where I was then. But it's a really cool song. It's uh, sonically super interesting. Um, I'm going to be 100% honest. When I first heard this um, song, uh, I thought this is where... Oh, it kind of sagged a little bit on this. No, uh, it, it actually, I when I it had to grow on me. It took years to grow on me. Right. Yeah, and I really appreciate it now. But Eric, continue. I'm sorry. We're no, no, no. I I don't have a lot to say about it. I think my original impression that getting a rap guy to engineer this song was awesome. I think actually over time it holds up. It's bass heavy it's sonically very interesting um but different and i don't blame you guys for not being into it 
initially? Well, it it sounded like um, he wanted to do something different, and by conscripting Dr. Dre to come in and mix it to make it a little more, a little more beats, a little more heaviness. Uh, yeah. It just it felt forced. I don't know a little yeah, bit. That's probably true. Um, it has the biggest. Uh, if you look in the thing, it has the most contributors from all the songs. Dr. Dre, Danny Loner, and the entire backup vocal group. Yeah, but where are those backup vocals happening in the chorus? Uh, just how father have I become? Must be. But I'm just hearing more Trent on that mix. I mean, it's we actually, have real backing vocals. This song does my favorite thing where they have a... Uh, a, a Trent Reznor bebopping during the chorus, singing out of, out of step with the rest of it. Everything! Oh, that's right, yeah. And then there are some, there's some na-na-nas. Na-na-na-na. There is some na-na-nas, that's right. Uh, but this is definitely a Swamp Industrial song. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's, there's some quiet moments in it where the, uh, the, the guitar is, you know, plucked and it slides over the swamp there. For those of you that have checked out the deviations, this is a great instrumental. Mm. It's really good. I don't think I've seen this song live. They've played it live. Um, and in the last, in 2013, they went on that tension tour and they actually brought along backing vocalists with them. I think they've been doing that ever since. Oh, no. I saw them with, uh, when they uh, toured with Soundgarden oh. and they didn't have that, uh, that lineup. That's why I went to the show to see that formula, uh, that whole formation of uh, with backing vocals, and because I'm getting old, I you know I want to see the Nine Inch Nails turn into the Eagles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's yeah. more like Delicate Sound of Thunder era Pink Floyd. There you go. <laughs> That's a perfect analogy. Well, anyways, I think it's a great song, just without G. E. Smith on the saxophone. <laughs> At the time of my life, I was into it more than the other songs because of my love of rap music, but it, it still holds up. It's a very cool... I mean, it's fine. I don't hate this song. Great. <laughs> <laughs> so glad you don't hate it. Uh, Even no, deeper, it didn't, it didn't blow my mind back in the day, but I really appreciate it as part of the whole now. Right. Right, right, right. But it does bridge the gap to... It goes into another instrumental track uh, oh, oh. titled Pilgrimage. Love it. <laughs> play it. Play it. Play a little clip. So uh, what what is this track now? Pilgrimage. Pilgrimage. This is the. I love this th song. Th this is the song that's basically one of the animated scenes out of the Wall movie. 
Right. I mean, it sounds like a box of silverware being marched down the street. Which um, I think is what they did. Um, you got a bar to play kazoos for him in the song. The the whole Buddha Boys choir. Yeah. Uh, apparently he grabbed... Well, was um, that word deb- debutante? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sure. Um, multiple choirs. So it was a random group of bar patrons. I actually really like this song. Like, every time I hear it... how It's not a song. It's just like... It is. It's a marching no, band. No. Bow, no, but bow, it, bow, as a gentleman that had to play in the pit crew for a marching band, I will say this is a song. The marching <laughs> band, though, is not actually a marching band. I think it's all, it's all on synthesizer. Yeah. Anyways, not a lot to talk about, but... It's, um, it's kind of a cool song. It's also like, you're a dictator, here's your song. That's that, that's what he was building up. <laughs> nope. Eric is going full Doc Brown. <laughs> Doc Brown? After one drink. <laughs> no? No, definitely. There is a bit of goose stepping to this song. There's like, Dun-dun! Yeah. Yeah. Like no. his arms in the air like you're a true player. Mark. I don't, I don't know if this song was written for a particular dictator to use. It's <laughs> a anthem. But, uh, I, yeah. I mean, I hear it. I hear, like... <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've said enough. Uh, so, yes. Pilgrimage. It's all instrumental. Uh, it sounds like somebody shaking a box of silverware. Half of it sounds like it's being played backwards. Um, kazoos. And it's also got kazoos. Does it have some kind of... Does it have brass instrumentation yeah. at all? Yeah. Yeah, big old brass. And that fades us into No You Don't, Steve's favorite song from the album. So the next track, No You Don't. Uh, I'm going to say he shouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think No You Don't is that bad. I, uh, it wasn't my favorite track when the album first came out. But it's grown on me. I think a lot of it's growth. Uh, I already started to not mind it recently. But then hearing the instrumental version made me appreciate it more. And this is definitely in the... Uh, in the, the hallowed halls of 
Trent thought of the lyrics very, very much after everything else was written and just had to throw something on top of them because it's uh, they're definitely the weakest link. Not even the lyrics are not that great, and then not that I need them to be usually, but the delivery compounds it. Bingo. Yes, the delivery is very whiny. Yeah, I was gonna say I was gonna say it sounded like it almost sounded like he was going for like a sneering like rock sleaze with the with the vocals on this one, but just. Just not effective. Didn't didn't nail that that one. I mean, it has its moments. Um, you know, it right. It doesn't really start very great with the smiling in their faces, the vocal delivery. But prior, right? Prior to that, I think it does start like it actually starts starts great with the bom bom bop bom right bom bom bop bom. Like, the like drums the, are the good. Swinging, it's got like John Bonham swinging drums, mm-hmm. which I appreciate. But as soon as the smiling in their footsteps or whatever steps in. It detracts from everything. My favorite part of the of the song is the and just for the record, you know, just so you know, like when things start to, uh, I don't know if that's considered the bridge or the breakdown. Yeah, and, and then it goes into the, you know, and then the drums speed up again. And by the way, I'd love any of our listeners that are music theory majors to reply and tell us there's really a difference between the breakdown and the bridge. I would love to know that. <laughs> if that's a thing. That's, that's your department, Eric. I <laughs> yeah. thought you would know that. Often we say that we're not musicians. I mean, Eric's the closest thing we got to musicians, and well, that tells you everything you need to know right there. Right. And uh, yeah, when it comes to music theory, I don't think any of us know what's going on either. Uh, it's not a terrible song. I, it doesn't make the album like it, it doesn't detract from the album for me. Sure. It just I'll hit skip more than more often than not. The instrumental version is better than the version with the lyrics. Um, it has a really mean riff towards the end where it's uh, where he keeps repeating "No, you don't," and the guitar starts mimicking him and going da 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 da. That's fun. Right. Um, not terribly engaging. Yeah, I mean, it's a skippable track. It's filler. Yeah, but it's not offensively bad. It's no, you know, it's no Big Mouth the No, exactly. I don't think there's anything offensively bad on, on this album. Right. No. But but if I have somewhere to be and I need to get to La Mer, I'm not going to let No You Don't uh, <laughs> slow me down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know. Um, listening with purpose, okay? Yeah, absolutely. No, it, but it, but if, I almost think that maybe they would have been better suited to just have the instrumental version on the main album. It wouldn't have been that bad. Right. Because having heard some of those instrumental songs, they left off the album. Well, I guess those were left off for a reason. But this is this could have easily been a good bridge song without the lyrics. Yeah. yeah. They're very they're very Billy Corgan-esque. Yeah, I thought the same thing when I first heard this song. Um, so that brings us to the next song. Right. Oh, and and we'll, uh, the next two are kind of like the ocean motif. Like sure. I feel like these two. And, and no, they go. They you go guys in. can get into it because I you, I think you guys really know the Big Sur story where La Mer feel, like fits in. But there's an ocean motif in the next two songs that carries over in the live performances. Yeah. The DVD. Oh shows. yeah. There's an ocean motif in these songs and also and I think still. But this is the La Mer was the La Mer is the next track. And it's the one song that was allegedly held over from the Big Sur sessions.
and it goes very well together with the great below. They they definitely they're one two punch together. Yeah. On the album, they fit well together. Live, they're always played together. Pretty much, yeah. It's very strange that on the All You Could Have Been live CD, they're not together. La Mer's not on there. But on the DVD, it is. Yeah. I don't know if you guys mm-hmm. caught that. And, there, and there's a cool thing on the DVD with those two songs. The um, the light designer, the stage designer, actually is does a commentary track where he talks about... Oh, really? ...his thoughts on it and, and you know... Basically, like. Do you remember the guy's name I don't by remember. chance? I don't Maybe know. we'll look that up. Yeah. Maybe uh, we'll save it for that episode. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, but anyway, so, yeah. in between when you hit stop and when we start the next one, you'll Google that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, La Mer is a great song. It's a very good instrumental song. Uh, when I was younger, I always liked it. I've always liked it. Yeah. But at that time, I thought it was a very big departure for Nine Snails, even though there's nothing super complex about it. It's just a nice uh, melodic piano melodic piano piece that does sound like you're looking over the ocean. And then the bass line is the Into the Void bass line. Yep. And uh, is it William Rifflin? Yep, it is, is Bill Rifflin. He bring, the drummer gets some on this track. Oh, yeah. And it has a very, like, a, little a, jazzy. Ja- a jazzy drum beat to it. And then that, you know, do, 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 do. A do, do, do. Yeah, and so the, that's, and, that's kind of what I was trying to talk about in a previous time we got together is the uh, the build up um, that like dun, 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 which yeah. is there and it's sure. void and then you even hear it kind of a little bit it's different notes but you hear the same kind of effect with that emphasis in the build up not the actual loop but the build up to the loop and the last you know the last measure uh, is uh, is emphasized and that, they do that in 10 miles high also you know uh, the last piano theme is also used at the end of wearing this together as well oh, okay. i didn't yeah, yeah. it's yeah. probably it might have varied somewhere else yeah an, an, an earworm mm-hmm. you have to really look for it wearing this together and also i was just telling mark before you got here eric um you guys don't know when we're recording this uh i really like that the piano in the song subtly builds to where i the same piano part is being played but they s- turn it up slightly and around when the bass kicks in, the piano is all like really all encompassing, and you don't realize it until it's invaded like your speakers. Yeah. Um, and it just keeps building and building. Doom, do 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 doom, doom, do 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 doom, and they layer the bass line on top of it, and then eventually you have some kind of like squelching static on top of it, but it never becomes noisy. Yeah. It's always still pleasant. And it has uh, vocals. It, become, it becomes a loud song, but it's never. There's never dissonance to it. Right. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's always melodic. And then you've got a vocal piece that's not sung by Trent. It's sung by a woman by the name of Denise Milford. Which I, I've listened to this album uh, 500 times now. I still, I've never heard that. It's, it's quietly being kind of whispered, and I think it's in French Creole. I don't think it's in English. Mm. Um, so I think the translation is and when the day arrives I'll become the sky and I'll become the sea and the sea will come to kiss me for I am going home and nothing can stop me now. Well there's the nothing can stop me now right. motif. Mm-hmm. Always to go back to Piggy. Yep. Yeah, I mean I really enjoy this song. It's a really good bridge between um No You Don't and uh the next song which is The Great Below. Well it would always be good before the Great Below. Now if they if they release No You Don't, would it be a good bridge between Pilgrimage and uh, The Great Below? I don't know. Would it be a great bridge between Even Deeper and The Great Below? I, I don't know. I think I think it just... I think actually my point is, yes, it probably would be, 
because it should always be in front of uh, the great below. I think the two go hand in yeah. hand very well together. Yeah. A different band would have packaged them together in like a in like a twelve inch EP or something like that. Yeah. With just those two songs because it's ten it's ten minutes of thematic beauty. It's it's great. Yeah. yeah. Since, since time has no meaning, um, yesterday now, which might not have been <coughs> yesterday before, I drove down to uh, back or no not Vacaville through Vacaville to San Jose to see my brother's new kid with my mom and. I mean, she sneak in some nice nails tracks in our drive, and Lamar was one of them. And she's like, "Huh." I mean, it actually, sounds... no, you know, by that I just means that she wasn't. She didn't tell me to turn it off. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it sounds like it'd be played on NPR. That's yeah, why. Exactly. Lamar <laughs> well, is a great song. Very brave with the checks mix here. We're gonna need our signature sound now. Oh, I know. Us <laughs> eating. And that's why I was doing it, trying to do it away from the mic. Well, now that we've established it, we have to do it every time. So, right. Yeah, it's part of our signature. That's that. All right. So. Lumiere is a good song. Yeah, and is. Great Below is great. Yeah. Oh, Eric really sold it short there. Like, oh, that's a good one too. Yeah, so I'm the next. Actually, yeah. It might be the climax to the, the first half of the goddamn I, album. I love I thought we were I thought we were okay. No, 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 yeah. We are oh, segueing into Great Below. Sometimes sometimes you'll notice that Eric has this tone where he's trying to rush us along. <laughs> I catch it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> to remind him that, you know I mean he is looking at his watch constantly <laughs> while we're talking. Well, maybe he Packing up his backpack. Up. Maybe he yeah. shouldn't have been the last one to get here then. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, Lemire is awesome. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it is, it, it's that, that, that damn build up to the loop. It gets stuck in my head it, constantly. Well, it's also, cool. like the bass line, that's also the Into the Void bass line. Yeah. That's such a, a groovy, catchy bass line. Yeah. 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 And, um, yeah, and, that, and that, that, that drum, that, the drum work is masterful. It's great. So, yeah, it cross fades into. The Great Below. It's one of the many songs that crossfades well. Mm-hmm. And uh, it gets kind of a hush. And then you have... Is it a cello in The Great Below? The... I don't know if it's synthesized cello or if it's actually real cello. Yeah. Whatever it is, it's great. Yeah. All of a sudden, you're in a song that makes you feel like you're on the ocean in a rowboat that's riding the waves. And then you get thrown off and then you're into The Great Below. The last pass through of this particular uh, recording, um, I would say that every Nine Inch Nails album after Downward Spiral uh, really does have an album closer that uh, kind of hits these emotional high points. And so obviously the Downward Spiral had hurt. And for the Fragile, I think the Great Below fits that mold. I actually agree with you. 
But I also think... Even though it's on an album closer. I, know. I will speak about it on the next episode. I think that it took me 20 years to figure it out, but Ripe with Decay actually also has emotional resonance, even though it doesn't have words. Which I'll talk about next time. Yeah, yeah. But I'm agreeing with you. For this half, this album, this disc, definitely The Great Below is a great closer. Yeah, it has that emotional punch. It, 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 I yeah. mean, in a way, if you're looking at this as a closer, I mean, they really do feel like two separate albums that all fit the same mm-hmm. palette mm-hmm. of sound. Um, clearly, he wanted this paired with Lemire in the middle, sure. closing out the first half. And not like there's a narrative to this. I'm not going to go there. Or did he want it or did Bob Ezrin want it? Oh, Somebody true. wanted it. But yeah, for some reason, it closed out the ideas on this album so he could go to where he would go in the next one. Yeah. So, no, I, yeah, I definitely think that and we'll be talking about this pretty soon. The way out is through, like, the, the great below takes you to a bottom point. Mm-hmm. And then the way out of through kind of, like, lurches you out of it. But to focus on this song, it starts out with those great cellos. And uh, there's a good amount of either synthesized or real string work that I really appreciate on this song. Yeah. Oh, I know. Because it does feel like you're actually sinking. Um, yeah. Just the atmospherics that are going on. Uh, well, it, it starts out with, the, you know, was it staring at the sea? Will she come? Yeah. Is there hope for me after all this said and done? Which are Nine Snails one-on-one lyrics. Sure. But the way the first part of the verse is sung, you do actually feel like you're staring at the sea. I don't know how to explain it, but they managed to sonically make things feel like on this album, like you're actually... Sometimes there's moments where they try to tell you that you're standing on a peak or you're staring at a body of water and somehow the way it sounds makes you actually feel like you're doing that. This is yeah. definitely one of those things. You feel like you're staring at the water and even though it's very little about jumping into the water, <laughs> you feel like you're jumping into the water. Yeah. I mean, that whole section with the ocean pulls me close and whispers in my ear and then you do have those atmospherics that are going on yeah, right and they, there. They sound, they, they, I believe they kind of go from speaker to speaker yeah. We're close enough to it mm-hmm. sonically. Mm-hmm. I think it was Charlie Klauser did that, mm-hmm. where it sounds like things are going back and forth. And uh, and then... Um, the ocean pulls me close. Whispers it, in my ear. The destiny I've chose is all becoming clear. Currents have their say. The, t- the time is drawing near. Washes me away. Makes me disappear. And then then uh, Trent Reznor really starts to belt to the rafters. Yeah, and, and it, well, he's belting. It has that... It actually... But it has that sinking town where it goes... Boom, 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 boom. And while has that sound, he's belting. It's the same, like the music's going down, but the, the belting's going up. Yep. You know, he's like, I will find my place yeah. in the great below. Yeah. And, and then, then it's another one of those parts in the fragile where they take the vocal effect and they let it go out in the stratosphere. Sure. And then I don't know if it's a, it's not, I don't think it's a sitar. And it's just a blue. regular Adrian. It's Blue a guitar, guitar. but yeah. they managed to sonically make it sound like it, it drones off, and it sounds like it's echoing into the distance. In the drums. And that's what this, this goddamn album's all about: is things that start here and they go off into the stratosphere forever. Right. The and drums on like uh, during that little uh, guitar melody mm-hmm. that kick in, yep, doom, and that doom, take you doom, to the doom, end doom. of the song. Yeah, yep. doom, a lot doom, going on doom, in this song. Yeah. yeah, the song the song peaks in the middle, and then it slowly. Drags out, where he, you know, he talks about uh, what does he say? Uh, I, I can still feel, feel, feel you, even though yeah, we're even so, so far, far away. That's also that's Nightingale's 101, but it works in this song. 
But yep. it's, it's an interesting song because it it's, it's the great below, and it makes you feel like you're jumping in and going to the bottom, but it manages to have a catharsis moment that explodes out everywhere. Absolutely. And yeah. uh, <clears throat> also, it always makes me think of somebody also either jumping in the ocean or becoming a king in some kind of goblin, uh, uh, basically the movie Nightbreed. This yeah. makes me think of the movie Nightbreed. Yeah. Either way, it's a great song. I've always dug it. When I first uh, heard The Fragile, and I started listening to it pretty much over and over and over for, I'd say, you know, a steady stream of six months, this side, if you're talking in CD terms, uh, used to be my favorite side. Um, now I can't really pick a side. Like now they're, they're, they're they, like, both, yeah. they both, as you get... As, you, as your ear becomes more ugh, mature, more, mature. <laughs> there's things in the second side that you appreciate that you wouldn't have before. Right. The first side is more accessible. Like it's more, the first half, it makes more, it's, it's almost every song gets as close to verse chords versus you want to save the couple of the instrumental ones. And even, um, what's that instrumental song? It's just like you imagined. Yeah. Even that's still kind of like the way that moves is it? It's like an epic, great song. The only challenging song on the first side really is Pilgrimage. Yes. The second half takes more patience. Yeah. But I think the second half is actually more rewarding. Sure. And there are three songs in the second half, which almost could all be climaxes in their own part, which we'll get into. Um, I actually think that it's really hard. It, 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 as a whole, it's it's like Kill Bill to me or Lord of the Rings. You need to listen. The whole thing is its thing. It's a, yeah. You it, the can't whole thing just is look at half the painting. Right. If right. I look yeah. at half the painting, it depends on what mood I'm in. Sure. If I want to rock out, the first half is the half for me. If I want to really go all over the place, the second half is the half for me. Yep. But I know that there's a time where people would say, myself included, well, the fragile would be a lot better if it was just one disc. I don't believe that anymore at all. Mm -hmm. I think that's balderdash. I think that almost every song is worth its, its, its yeah. existence. Well, you can tell by, which we'll get to, the, the deleted songs from the Deviations album, that like, he was musically in a place with, with his people where almost everything they were doing was sounding cool and highly listenable. Mm. Um, yeah, and, a lot of those. We'll, you know, we'll talk about no, those soon. Yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm no, sorry. I just mean like... And I know why I always say I didn't mean to cut you off. And clearly pared, pared <laughs> down... To his favorite stuff, the stuff he thought that fit thematically through the whole album. Even the songs that were going to be bridge songs on those yeah. instrumental ones, most of them sound like they're worth a damn. Yeah. And uh, like I'd argue, this is kind of a closing statement that I'll say now and I'll say later. You could take this, the second half, still in those extra tracks and make one thing that I would love to listen to. Like three hours of music that I would still appreciate. Yep. Fair enough. Uh, while we were preparing for this episode, um, Steve uh, equated this particular, uh, just this whole era of Nine Inch Nails is taking a college course. Um, <laughs> we can't wait until... Uh, we... I'm the college dropout, by the way, so this <laughs> tells you this is like, I'm really dedicating myself right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's such an important album, and uh, it does require a lot of uh, scrutiny, but at the same time, I mean... This is probably the most sprawling era of Nine Inch Nails. Oh, God, it goes everywhere. Yeah. And right after we did a couple of episodes where, well, each of them turned into two-parters because they sprawled. I was like, Jesus Christ, this is sprawling too. And technically, <laughs> we're talking about one record. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to With Teeth. But uh, <laughs> we still got two more parts to go. So yeah. let's, uh, let's, 
let's let's take our headphones off for right now. Yeah. <laughs> Collect ourselves. Yeah, we still- I will go to the bathroom and urinate, and then we will do the right side. But uh, that'll be on the next episode. Right. So. Yes. Uh, thank you for listening to the first half of The Fragile. Um, this is Mark. This is uh, Stephen. And this is Eric. Uh, this is not Ben. That's Eric. That's not Doc Brown. <laughs> <laughs> we got some coffee in him. So uh, thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. And we hope that we brought you closer to pod.